This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Top of the morning to you. And happy near-miss day. Is it a near-miss uh, for President Trump's uh, first, I guess, a, well, it's Congress's first approach, but President Trump's totally backing the new Trump care bill, even though that's not what we're calling it. Is it going to be a near-miss? If it passes, it's Trump care. If it passes, it's Trump care because, yeah, he will have twisted the arms. There's many that are just saying it's not quite done yet. If it doesn't pass, by that much. If it doesn't pass, <laughs> it's not Trump care. It's not Trump He care. puts his label on winners. Yeah. That's how it works. Near Miss Day, by the way, commemorates uh, March 23rd, 1989, when a large asteroid missed the Earth by a mere 500,000 miles. Mm-hmm. So I found, grateful. I found this odd because I come in here with stories every couple of weeks of something near missing. I know. What's the big deal? And I've, I've, I've started ignoring the stories. Well, now you know what day we celebrate it. Okay, great. Just save them all and bring them on the 23rd. Really? Yeah. You know what? What? It's also... Someone's birthday. Chuck, 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 gone. Really? Chuck, gone. Who? Whose birthday is it? Chuck, gone. Chuck, gone. Huh? It's like I should know. I can sense it almost. It's Chuck Khan's birthday, I think. Yeah. No, it's not his. That's a a girl. It's it's not hers. <laughs> it's someone else's birthday today. Hmm. Is that why you brought donuts in? To commemorate Shaka Khan's birthday? Yeah. I didn't know you were such a fan. I didn't either. That's great. Shaka Khan's birthday. How old is uh, Sister Khan? You just looking? Oh, sorry. I showed his computer down before the show started. Um, Shaka Khan. I did not know it was her birthday. By the way, it's more importantly than 63. Me. Really? Wow. A spry 63. A spry 63. Yeah. It's also chip and dip day. Mm. Mm, my favorite thing on earth, chips and dip. It's a good combo. It's a great combo. So we're celebrating uh, birthdays, Shaka Khan, uh, that Jeffrey's celebrating with donuts today. Okay. He loves He loves Shaka Khan. Shaka Khan. And uh, we're also – we're also celebrating um, Near Miss Day, mm-hmm. where, you know, back in 89, we all could have been killed. But we didn't. But we weren't, yeah. No. So. Yay. Yay, life is good. So we'll get to all of uh, that fun, plus some empty news coming up, some news you may not even know you need. And we'll be doing an interview um, with Dan Mann, who's the author of the book, The Art and Science of Influence. Uh, if, you, if you could figure out what it takes to influence people, you might have a pretty powerful little trick there a little trick in your you know hmm. a quiver in your an arrow in your quiver your trick quiver wow the art of influence it's the art and science do, do you have some influence. thoughts on how one goes about doing such a thing yeah okay. i think the minute you're trying to influence someone yeah is the minute you are already behind the game yeah it also might feel manipulative because you're yeah. trying whether – people who do influence, yeah. they don't seem to be working at it. Well, everyone much. influences, right, for good or evil. Yeah. 
But if you're, what if you're a parent and you want to influence your child to go to school? There's a variety of ways to do that. So there's healthier ways and there's less healthy ways like donuts, healthy I, way. I inadvertently influenced my child to read a book yesterday. You didn't mean to? It wasn't even in the plan and he all of a sudden just grabs a book and starts reading. I, did it involve a superhero? No. Well, no. The book did. Yeah, it did. Yeah, of course I it did. Captain Underpants? Batman or something. Okay. Hmm. He went to the library and brought like he, – he comes back with all these books. He goes, look at all these books. Everyone is a superhero. I go, there's other books to read. He goes, no, these are awesome. I wonder where he gets that. I don't know. It's so weird. He just sort of developed it on his own. And yeah. Independent of anybody else. Chaka Khan. Chaka Khan. Was, did he have any book on Shaka Khan? No. Okay. Darn it. He'd think Shaka Khan is some villain. In a, in <laughs> Too bad for him. <laughs> Too bad for him. Okay, but first, uh, before we get into all the influence talk, let's talk uh, about the news. Talk to me. Yeah. What's going on, Terry, around the rest of the country? House Intelligence Chairman David Nunez set off a stunning new political controversy, allegedly. I don't know if this really is a controversy. Happened Wednesday by revealing that communications of President Donald Trump and his associates mm-hmm. may have been picked up after the election by intelligence agencies conducting surveillance on foreign targets. Nunez hurried to the White House to personally brief Trump on the revelations after talking to the press but without sharing the information with Democrats. His Democratic counterpart on the committee, Representative Adam Schiff of California, warned that his colleague had cast a profound cloud over their effort to investigate Russian attempts to interfere with the election. Uh, The chairman will need to decide whether he is the chairman of an independent investigation into conduct which includes allegations of potential coordination between the Trump campaign and the Russians, or he is going to act as a surrogate of the White House uh, because he cannot do both. Uh, and unfortunately, I think the actions of today uh, throw great doubt uh, into the ability of both the chairman and the committee to conduct the investigation the way it ought to be conducted. Uh, I have expressed these grave concerns with the chairman. So mm. when you're conducting an independent yeah. in- investigation, do you run to one of the primaries of that investigation to, c- to tell him everything about it? Oh, yeah. Is that what you do? Is that he, common? He, he kind of did what, uh, like when the teacher gives you a really hard math problem. Yeah. And she says, whoever solves this problem first gets this candy. Yeah. And he's the kid that got the problem solved and then sprinted to the teacher. Yeah. Yeah. But you know what? Maybe there's something like that's amazing that kind of supports the fact that Trump was inadvertently captured and something was inappropriate. So maybe today he'll give us information or by Friday, that will blow our minds. And we'll all be like, what? Yeah. What's going on here? The other side that was funny was the Trump side of this kind of waving a flag of victory that, you look, there was a wiretap. See? And they came back, oh, no, this isn't a wiretap. The NSA was listening to somebody else, and you guys called them. So now you're calling someone the NSA was investigating. That's not necessarily a win. That just casts more questions right. as to why are you talking to someone that is yeah. having some sort of issue with the NSA. Now, remember, this, oh. was, this was the same guy, though, that had cleared him and said, yeah. we have nothing. There's well, that, nothing. Yeah. There's nothing. And then there was new information the next day. Isn't that weird? And it kind of ticked him off. So oh, that's yeah. why Nunez went over well, to and talk he to got, him. Well, he also had a huge backlash from his own party and his own constituency on why are you not doing something. Right. I've had some backlashes, too. They hurt. No, no, no. That's a back rash. That's different. No, like lashings to your back. Oh, you had that? Yeah. yeah. Horrible. New last night, CNN reporting that the FBI is reviewing information that counterintelligence investigators believe may show coordination between 
President Trump and Russian operatives to potentially release information to hurt Hillary Clinton's campaign before the 2016 presidential elections. Now, there's that investigation. Oh, boy. Here we go. President Trump defended a number of his baseless claims in a head-turning interview with Time magazine published this morning, which pushed uh, by reporter Michael Scherer about sharing conspiracies that he couldn't verify as true. Trump became defensive. He goes, I know you are going to write a bad article because you always do. After touting his ability to have predicted Brexit and reiterated his false claim that three million people voted illegally in the election, Trump explained, I inherited a mess. So in many ways, hey, look, in in the meantime, I guess I can't be doing so badly because I'm president and you are not, you know? Neener, neener. Another feature of the article is where the president reminded the reporter about the 10 times he predicted future events that in some way came true. See, I can empathize with President Trump because I feel like every time I go home, and it's the end of the day. I've inherited a mess. <laughs> Look at this. What happened today? My girls just trashed the place. I know. you got to clean it up. Top Republican legislator priority in peril, Donald Trump, dangled possible changes to the health care bill Wednesday aimed at placating conservatives threatening to torpedo the legislation. Well, that was a very descriptive sentence there. Yeah. The White House seemed to make progress after GOP opposition had snowballed the day before. Uh, the showdown House vote, Trump huddled at the White House with 18 lawmakers, a mix of supporters and opponents. Vice President Mike Pence saw around two dozen House and GOP leaders. They held countless talks with lawmakers at the Capitol. The sessions came as leaders rummaged for votes on a roll call that they can ill afford to lose without diminishing their clout for the rest of the GOP agenda. Most GOP opponents were conservatives asserting that the legislation demolishing former President Barack Obama's health care law did not go far enough. Huh. So we, oh, boy. This, this vote today could be very interesting. I'm not sure very, when it's going to happen. It's like later tonight it's supposed to, isn't it? It's but then me. some are thinking middle of the night. There's no there's no timetable on this. No. Right? They've set this day for Thursday. We're going to get this done now. It has to be done. Otherwise, it's a failure. Well, the, the, I think the real deadline is that they go on recess here in a couple weeks, and they want to get this taken care of yeah. so they don't show back up and get yelled at. And oh, I love recess. Mind. Yeah. It's a fun time to take the ball and go play Foursquare. When I went to seventh grade and realized there was no recess, I was heartbroken. Oh. It's like, what? The, what? No, what? No recess? <laughs> you still take recesses? Finally. Yes. How much do you like cheese, Matt? Oh, on my cheese meter? I'm a nine. You're a nine on your general Whoa. cheese? Yeah, nine out of ten. Do you know that cheese is thought to be bad for you? No. And? Too much cheese could cause problems. Sure. Well, blockage. Oh, hold on to your hat that you're not wearing. Cheese, holding the cheese to keep your cholesterol down. A new study finds that people aren't at an increased risk of cholesterol-related heart disease from consuming significant amounts of cheese, it turns out. Huh? Researchers, the university, u- researchers at the University of Dublin looked at the impact of dairy foods had on the health of uh, 1,500 Irish people and found that eating large amounts of cheese did not lead to elevated levels of LDL cholesterol, which is known yes. as bad cholesterol. It's one of the common factors for heart disease because it'll build up plaque in your arteries. Allegedly, they're, they're saying yeah. cheese doesn't do it that. doesn't do that. Furthermore, the study found that those who ate a low-fat dairy products, they, they ate those low-fat dairy products, ironically had higher cholesterol than those who didn't. They found that they those people regularly consumed uh, low-fat dairy products also had higher levels of carbohydrate intake, meaning they're looking at, well, this was low-fat, yeah. and they ate something right. bad for them. Right. right. Like you'd have something with high carbs. To put the cheese on, it's like the same. Fries. This, the same thing we hear about when people drink diet sodas. Yeah, then they eat garbage mm. because Come they're on. trying to offset what they. It's look, not I did. the soda; it's yeah. the 
Cheetos. I got a plaque once, and it was a delightful experience. Um, but you're pretty you're pretty healthy, right? I, love, I am the I healthiest am. human ever well, known to man. His wife is. My wife's really healthy. And that sort of dictates his diet. You know who else is healthy? Chuck Khan. She is. It's her birthday today. And we're celebrating with donuts. Today I found out Chaka Khan's a woman. <laughs> yeah, live on the air. Good <laughs> did, job. Not, did not know that. Yeah. I was busy studying. All through my Chaka Khan days. Hey, Neil Gorsuch, uh, Supreme Court nominee. Yeah. Did you hear his little comment yesterday when he dropped a bigly in his he, sentence hearing? He tossed a bigly? He I didn't, didn't hear mean that. to, but he. Uh, Was he, there a laughter around? The, the, yeah. The senator said, whoa. So he, he said, hey, you. Um, he, was, he was explaining this really big, I can't remember, some big experience. And, and then he, but he said bigly, and then he corrected himself. Mm. And. Um, <laughs> I think he was like trying to think biggie yeah. and big or something. And right. so he said bigly. And then the senator was like, whoa, whoa, you, you said bigly. You said bigly. And then he goes, you owe me $5 because <laughs> apparently he had a joke going with somebody. Uh-huh. Uh, so um, bigly. Bigly. Supreme Court justice. Is that another word we now can't use? Well, no. It's actually I mean, not a word, I don't think. I, hear peop- I think it's a legal term. I hear people stumbling using the word, you know, like Trump card. Yeah, yeah. Or this trumps that. They can't use the word Trump anymore. And there's mm-hmm. no other, like, good substitute for that word. Well, what are you supposed to do when you're playing Rook? Huh? And somebody puts down the mm, card. Yeah. The what card? Mm. I don't play Rook. Yeah, it's- Really? I don't know what card that I is. I don't know if I've ever played Rook. Um, I think J- Trump's usually saying big league. Yes, but he says it. So quickly, big league. Yeah. So people were – so now Neil well, Gorsuch is on it. That's what his – that's what it was explained as. Yeah. I'm not sure if that's true. You he know, might be saying big league. Let me just tell you, Donald Trump seems like he might be getting himself deeper and deeper into the mire. You know, he's just mm-hmm. getting bogged down. So what he might want to do is just sh- – don't do any more interviews for a while. And right now – Well, he did that. Just Well, he had an interview today. He, he claimed the wiretap and then sat out for a week. Yeah. But, so sit out it, a it month. Didn't, it didn't go – yeah. Just sit out a month <laughs> and instead just go get results. Yeah. Right? Just get results. Quit talking because now that whole Time Magazine interview, yeah. it's going to get him in trouble. Of course. The just, the neener neener aspect yeah. of it. I'm president. You're not. So it's going pretty good for uh, me. One of us is president. <laughs> And the other is not. So uh, we know who the winners are. <sighs> okay. Jeff, really, why did you bring in donuts? Let's get real. Your wife thought about you. She thought I might want to share joy. donuts share with the others today. What a great woman. Seriously. She's amazing. She is amazing. My wife would – I'd bring in seeds that's probably what I'd bring in. I'd bring us seeds? All, some seeds. Sunflower? To, probably. Just some seeds to chew on. Do you ever wish that your sunflower seeds were all de-shelled for you? Yes. Now that is luxury. That's some serious, yeah, you can pound those. Have you ever had sunflower seeds covered in chocolate? Mm, no. Incredible to die for. Wow. And, you don't, and they're, they're shelled as well. Because that would be horrible. 
you just be licking chocolate off shelves. Hey, uh, got a great show coming up, folks. We'll take a break. When we come back, we'll be talking about the art of science and influence. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. There are so many skills that are necessary to being a good leader, but have you ever wondered what is the most important skills? And, I mean, if you had to, like, line them up, what would be the number one most important skill as a leader? And uh, and how do you actually go about improving your leadership skills? Well, here to join us to talk about this is Dan Mann. He's the author of Orbit, The Art and Science of Influence, and he has a few ideas that may help us out today. Dan, thank you so much for being with us today. My pleasure, Matt. Thanks for inviting me. You bet. Now, talk about influence because, uh, for example, we see up on um, up at Congress, Congress are all trying to influence each other, get a bill passed. Parents try to influence their kids to you know do your homework to get stuff done. Coaches are trying to influence, but influence can be for good or ill, right? And we and we're constantly influencing, aren't we? Well, we are constantly influencing one way or the other. I think the the goal for, for my book are those of us that are influencing for good and intend to see a cause come to fruition, get results, and, and really, uh, through influence, help the person being influenced to uh, reach their p- potential and become you know, more than they are. Mm. Is, so is that how you define influence, or how would you define it? I would say uh, that's man, what a great question. I would actually say influence is both a, a noun and a verb. And in the context of a noun, it is someone under the influence or being influenced, uh, as you would say, perhaps uh, the um, the moon orbits and is under the influence of the earth, or a verb is to influence. And so that is actually bringing about a change. It mm. is bringing about something different. It is exerting a change and bringing about something different uh, over another person. And in that context... Uh, obviously, we're looking for people that are that are responsible for results, responsible for achieving a cause, a cha- uh, responsible for bringing about good, so that they use that skill, that power, to be uh, doubly effective. Mm. Do you, and so you, I guess you would say, influence is is the number one leadership skill. Well, I can tell you this: to be able to influence effectively is highly sought after in today's business world. And in the, the market of any, any uh, uh, entity that has a cause that they want to see advanced, if I'm effective at influencing change, if I am effective at leading people to make changes, adult behavior changes, you can count on being very popular and very, very sought after. So, yeah, I'd say it's highly marketable uh, and, and very desirable. Yeah. How did you how did you come to this? You have a really uh, diverse background as a basketball coach, as a college professor, as a consultant. How did you get uh, into the leadership field? Well, uh, I've been I've been very interested in the concept of achieving my goals by helping others achieve their goals. And that's been with me through my life. And so I've uh, I've thought, you know, I can I can accomplish everything I want to accomplish in life. if I help other people do that. So that's obviously why I got started in, the, in, in teaching school and coaching sports. Uh, for a time, 12 years, I spent time leading a retail organization. And in that context, I had 1,000 employees to, with uh, 75 stores in 26 states. Mm. And I had to reach uh, across 26 states with concepts, with process, with, with ideology. 
And so it, it required me to focus on being not just a leader. I had the title, but being effective and, and <laughs> changing 1,000 different opinions, 1,000 different points of view, 1,000 different ways of doing things into one cohesive, a common theme. And that required that I take uh, the ability to influence and turn it into a process, turn it into an effective, measurable, results-oriented way of doing something. And I had to think of it that way. Yeah, it's it's got to be doable for you to do it, but then I guess for your managers under you to do it and others to hand it down. Well, yeah, and think about think about the role of a coach. You know, you, you suddenly are promoted to coach of the local cross-country team, and your goal is to win regions or conference or state. How are you going to influence change? How are you going to get those times down? How are you going to bring about a, a different type of result than the, seat the team had last season? So to be able to be effective and know, hey, these are my, these are my players, and I'm going to go about getting a change. I'm going to get something new this year. Uh, the confidence to be able to do that makes you uh, very, infect- very effective, very important, very influential, and certainly very marketable. But mostly it's so satisfying to the coach or leader herself or himself to know I've been given an assignment. I've got a group of people I'm responsible for. I know I can go in there and get results. Mm. Very, very strong, powerful uh, skill to possess and own. Yeah, and then because um, you could do it on the field, you could do it back at the office, and I'm assuming go home and take the same ideas to the home to, to create influence as well. In your book, uh, Orbit, The Art and Science of Influence, you, you're, you use this acronym for ORBIT to help us increase our influence. Talk about that a little bit. What what are the steps of, of ORBIT? Well, ORBIT is a an acronym that I came up with a few years ago called Optimized Reality Behavior Training. Kind of clunky, but... Uh, once I threw the I in the middle there, it became the word orbit, and I came to realize that, you know, orbiting is a body, a celestial body, under the influence of another body. That really, it really tied the mm. influence concept to it and got me excited about it as, a, as, a, as an idea. But I have a very specific six-step process for exerting this influence and for being effective, and the steps are not tied to the acronym per se. The steps are... Uh, are separately, number one, to establish context, and that is if you're going to ask someone to change something in their behavior, well, the the reason why has to be pretty powerful. Mm. If you're telling me to do something different than I've done before, I need to know uh, why. And so you got to start by establishing context. Why are we doing this? What's going on here? What is this? And then the second step, and this is where it becomes very interesting and compelling and what most people don't do, is we uh, ask for a negative simulation of whatever it is that we're training. Um, The third step is a positive simulation, showing you exactly what uh, you want to do. And then we we offer feedback, and we ask then our our trainee to to actually um, produce the activity. Let me see you do it, or demonstration, followed by what we call cycle, which is um, less, less repeat, less drill, and less practice. Now, what makes this interesting from our perspective is that this is a very hands-on interactive learning where the uh, person learning is required to participate. And, and the reason why we ask that is adults will not learn or participate in something unless they can contribute to the learning. Hmm. They want to be part of that process. If they 
you know, I think statistically, a person's only going to retain about 16% of what they're taught in a typical lecture uh, circumstance. Uh, if I'm just sitting in a room listening to someone talk, I get to evaluate it. I get to decide whether I like it or not like it. I get to actually reject it while sitting in the room. And so that's why lecture has limited effect at actually changing behavior. Um, and so this method is fully engaged and, and requires that the trainer, the teacher, the parent, the coach ensures that the student is in agreement every step of the way. And, and, and we actually have come to this conclusion that um, when training adults or changing adult behavior, teaching someone how is far less important than getting the, the student on board to want to. In other mm. words, buy-in is more important than the, the skill set. Now, they're both equally important, but first thing comes first is the, is the buy-in and agreement. And I, I, I think, because a lot of times, historically, in our models in leadership, it, it was kind of always, you know, well, I, just do it because I said so. You just do yeah. it. I said it. So do it. Yeah. Um, but now what you're saying is we've got to – I mean, these people are empowered agents that can leave when they want to leave. They don't have to stay with this right. company, and competition's high. So you're saying bring them along, get them involved, and from the very get-go where you establish the, the why, the context, all the way through, you're going to let them experience and I guess own it in a way. They have to. They have to actually understand why they're being asked to do it. They have to poke, uh, poke at it, pull at it, uh, question it, uh, uh, challenge, uh, be engaged in, in actually demonstrating and checking for themselves that, that, that this is actually validated from their perspective. That is crucial. And if you try to short circuit it because, hey, I don't have time to do this training, I'm going to say, well, you'll, you'll never get a new behavior. You're never going to change the behavior if you don't invest to that. So I, I, think, I think really uh, what I see as our, as our big challenge is that we put people in front of videos, we put people in front of online training, we give people a book and say, hey, go train yourself without context and without understanding. Uh, that's not going to do it. It's very optional. And you, don't, you, know, you go to the local mall or go to a, a, you know, a C-rated restaurant, and you'll see exactly what I'm talking about as people who are charged with a job are doing it. Uh, only uh, partially well. That's because they don't, they're not really engaged in it, not really excited about it, they're not really interested in it. Yeah. And that shows you they've got the wrong mindset, they don't believe in it, they've not bought in. And how powerful, too, I mean, I know in like kind of the quality movements that exist in organizations, TQM and Six Sigma and all of those, a lot of times they let the employees bring the the ideas where they need where change needs to take place, they bring those to the meeting. So how powerful too, if you could do the same process with them bringing the ideas to the meeting and figuring out a better way to to solve it and improve the system. Well, in the latter part of the book, I talk about the two types of employees or the two types of people that you're working with. One type is called a protective mindset. And the protective mindset person is just going to do just enough to protect their job, nothing more, just enough to protect their position, nothing more. And for those folks, you have to work diligently to keep them engaged. But what you're describing is the second mindset, which is the achievement mindset. Mm. And when you've hired the achievement mindset or you have retained the achievement mindset in your, in your cause, that person is, is motivated by setting goals and achieving goals. They get themselves up in the morning. They set themselves annual goals. They, they make decisions to do things because they want to do them. And so 
if you are in, intending to work with an achievement mindset person, you need to have uh, them the opportunity to give ideas. They need to have the opportunity to contribute. They must because they are highly motivated by achievement, highly motivated and driven by being part of something special. And if you're working with them, boy, the, working with them is a lot easier, a lot more fun, but it is quite a bit more challenging as you must let them be involved in that process and they fully, they, as they fully engage with you. Uh, it's, it's, the, it's the way I think all, most of us want to lead and most of us want to work. And by the way, that's how great organizations are formed and built. That's right. Yeah. I mean, I guess let's uh, let's come back and talk about, Dan, how we how we find these achievement mindsets and even hire for that as well. Uh, It seems like they're going to be influencers and more influenceable uh, with leaders that can go through this process and really show the why. We'll take a break. Come back. Continue the discussion. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the leader you need to be. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Today we're talking uh, the art and science of influence from the book Orbit, The Art and Science of Influence, written by Dan Mann, who's on the phone with us. If you go to his website, orbitinfluence.com, you can gather more information about his program and, uh, and the book as well. Dan, again, thank you for being with us today. My pleasure, and uh, I really appreciate the insight you're having with the questions. Thank you so much. You bet. Uh, you bet. Can we just keep going all day? I'm, yeah, I'm, we, we really could. I actually could. Yeah. <laughs> hey, um, talk to me, because in your list of uh, kind of uh, behaviors, your process, your six-step process, you, um, you talk about negative simulation. So as you're yeah. trying to influence them on something you need them to do, you, you suggest you bring up negative simulation of the event that, you know, kind of, I guess, why we need to change it is because this happens. And then you talk about positive simulation. Talk about that a bit, because it seems like a lot of times in organizations, we we almost don't allow negative simulation of anything. It's always kind of the, the ideal simulation we work on. Well, uh, you, you've at the core of why I think this program has been so effective for so many and it is the negative simulation piece. The, the reason for having a negative simulation, I'll give you a very specific example in a moment, but the reason for having it uh, in, as part of this process is so that the, the student or the person you're working with will come without fail to the conclusion that there is a better way to do it than the way they're doing it. The negative simulation has the opportunity to let them experience it negatively and confirm, wow, I do not want to do it that way, that absolutely is not the way to do it. I am fully looking for a new way to do it. Yeah. And so you want to create that commitment to a better way by showing them the negative. And then here's my example. And this really profoundly uh, launched me in this direction. And it's from the story of Captain uh, Sully Sullenberger, who the, the, the U.S. air pilot yeah. who uh, landed in the, in the Hudson after losing both engines. After, the, after that incredible, miraculous landing, they asked him, you know, how did you do it? What, you're, you're an incredible pilot. How did you do it? And his answer was really inspiring to me. His answer was this. He said, I, we did what they trained us to do. And you dig into that a little bit more and go, wow, that, that's some pretty good training. 
you know, what they're training uh, airline pilots, how they train airline pilots to be successful in those environments is they put them in those environments hundreds of times through a simulation. And so they, they go into a very expensive, very uh, well-designed simulator, which, which mimics the flight of a plane, except it's not flying in the air. It's in a safe warehouse somewhere on hydraulics. And they put these guys through all kinds of bad things, ice on the wings, wind shear, uh, losing an engine, uh, you know, all, all the things that you don't want to have happen. And they say, look, give it a try. It's like being thrown into the deep end of the, of the pool. <laughs> That's how I learned, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> well, there you go. So, so they learned with wind shear, the, the, boy, I, well, they made a mistake, and the simulation punishes them, shows them, wow, you just crashed. Why? They get to go back and look at it again. Why did that happen? What happened? Well, I didn't pay attention to this. Or I, it's almost a guided self-discovery through the negative. And this same premise can be taught in, can be applied to most anything you would want to teach. What doesn't work? Why you don't want to do that? And so if you bring that component, and it's a very challenging part of the component for the trainer, and it may seem like a long couple of steps to go through, but what you have is a highly developed learning experience for the student where they go, wow, I'm completely committed to not doing it that wrong way because I see the pain it causes when I do it. And if you can create that, your learning is uh, profound, and you don't need to go back and do it again. It's learned, it's learned, it's uh, it's adapted, and now we're on to the next thing. Yeah, it's almost every step that you're describing is really about kind of converting or letting the person kind of self-convert to the influence you're trying to to give them. So instead of forcing the influence down on them, you're just allowing them to internalize it step by step. That's right. And each, each step of the way, I'm checking in uh, and going, what did you hear? What did you see? What do you think? What's your opinion? And in doing so, uh, again, I'm ensuring that I'm making progress. And once they say, yeah, I, I agree, well, that's not enough of an answer. I need more specifics. Tell me a little bit more about that. Uh, ultimately, when they get to step four demonstration, uh, that's where we actually prove that they've been telling us the truth. They've, they've confirmed and confirmed and confirmed. And we say, now you try it. Well, when they're actually doing it uh, in the correct way for the first time, uh, that's when you'll you'll see, yeah, they, they've bought in and they're actually uh, attempting to do it the right way. Have you tried this same model in parenting? Because it seems have. like it would be uh, it would brill- it would work brilliantly. I certainly have. Uh, there are uh, quite a few stories. I have four children. Uh, my youngest is just finishing up his senior year at uh, UNC Charlotte, yeah. and uh, so I've got a, a, a little track record there. And uh, I can I can think back to the days of teaching my boys, uh, my my two youngest are sons, and teaching my boys how to uh, mow the grass. Yeah. And so when you get to the negative simulation, uh, you show them the discharge of the mower and the danger associated with the mower, and you talk about the pets and where the pets are, and. You show how if your the brother is over there uh, using a weed eater and you're on the mower, what the danger is for the discharge and the discharge for the weed eater. And you show and demonstrate what could happen if this and, and begin to picture and, and, and simulate that. Then you show them the way to prevent that from happening. And in contrast to the negative, uh, you fully engage with them. So uh, going through this process has uh, been very helpful to me and from that to washing dishes, to doing clothes. You know, the hard part for us parents is establishing context around why they should want to mow the grass. Mm-hmm, exactly. <laughs> and 
And, you know, so that's, that's always the challenge. What's in it for me is one of the questions you have to answer for the child. What's, what's in this for you? And, and how do you, because that's a really good point too, with um, whether it's leadership management and, and this, because a lot of people push back on the idea of trying to influence others, um, except the reality is if I own a business, I need you to be operating safely and at optimal levels. So let me show you how I think we could do that. Um, how do I get you to buy in to the fact that that this is what I want, whether you want it or not, you need to do this to like operate the lawnmower safely? Or how do you get them to convert and, and almost give you their will, really? Well, uh, it's a shared will, actually. And I, I, I talk about at the very beginning how uh, anybody that has a cause or has a company should have a compelling vision for why they exist. And, and, and if you expect to influence and, and, and change adult behavior and, and bring people together for that common good, there has to be a, a, a more meaningful, higher reason why it exists besides just um, making more money yeah. uh, or acquiring more market share. Now, those are all great, valuable, important parts of life. And, and of course, they mean that I get to have take more money home and I get to have a better life and I get to expand my, uh, you know, my nest egg and all, all that. But if you really want to get people on board and change behavior, you have to come up with the reason why we are doing this, the, the reason for its existence. And for most of us in the business, we have a reason why. I, I started uh, my retail career in a, in a clothing business, men's clothing. And uh, we, you know, we sold uh, we sold suits and ties, and we had uh, commission sales, and we had commission sales staff. And you know, when I'm trying to find some reason for people to change behavior, make more money, had limited effect. Um, but we did some thinking and talking about this in in, old, in the context of our training, and learned that when you put a man, and we sold men's clothing, you put a man in a good-looking suit and everything looks well and good on him and it's, it's fashionable and it's pressed and it's, it's done well, and, and he is in front of a room making a presentation. He's not worried about his clothing. He's not worried about how he looks. And he's not worried about whether you know, he's got mustard on his tie or his zipper's down. He's more confident. He's focused. He's a better presenter. Same thing with a, with, a, uh, with a wedding day or with a sale that he has to make. And so we began to understand that what we were doing for people was not just selling them fashion or clothing. We were actually delivering confidence. Hmm. And when we, when we framed it up, that the big deal here was we're in the business of helping men be successful. And even understood that a well-dressed man was important for his wife, important for his partner and the yeah. rest of the people around him. That it actually was a, it was a, it was a, a business of influence, uh, excuse me, the business of confidence. And when we framed it up in that way, being more effective at changing other people's lives by making them feel more confident really became a very good reason why for us to improve uh, the, the, you know, the sales behavior on the sales floor. Absolutely. And then I mean, getting them caught up and, and bought into that uh, seems like the beginning of it all. That is the context, the overarching and context. It, I will say it goes back to hiring well for people that understand the big picture. Why are we doing this? It starts not with my training. Why are we doing this? It starts with my hiring. Right. And uh, if it's in the context of, you know, of course, you can't, you don't hire your, your family, but in the context of your 
uh, of your uh, of, of an entity where you are you know working in a for a cause or you have a business you you have to surround yourself with people with mm-hmm. a common dream a common goal and that opens the possibilities for you yeah and you can take the same system the same process and it sounds like use it on anything if i needed to revamp my hiring system i could run it through the same six steps uh well dan i appreciate your insight great stuff um really the art and science of influence orbit is the name of the book the art and science of influence um power folks this is this is having power with people instead of having power over them You know, you can be given the position all you want, but it doesn't mean you're going to have the hearts and the minds of those around you. Uh, Dan brought up a really cool idea about orbit. An orbit is a celestial body under the influence of another celestial body. And when you think about it, we've all, you know, we got these incredibly important souls around us, and we have a chance to influence them. So let's influence them with some peace instead of just influencing them with pressure and power. Powerful stuff. We'll take a break. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you get through this crazy thing we call life. But do it with a smile. We'll be back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, as we were talking about influence, it dawned on me, um, you, you got to make sure you get influence by knowing how to work with people. Jeffrey, for example, brought in donuts today in, a, in an attempt to influence positively. That's why, yeah. And it's also Shaka Khan's birthday. Um, but uh, a lot of people try to get their influence other ways. Um you got to be careful. And Stephen Covey used to teach this, that whatever you put at your center is going to run you. So he would always say, put principles at your center. That way you're not going to be run, you know, down the drain. Uh, Donald Trump had a, had a really interesting problem, I guess. I don't know how else to put this. Just one? Uh, well, yeah, just one problem. Apparently, um, he has his, – his net worth has dropped – he he's no longer as wealthy as as he once was. His fortune has dropped one billion since last year, according to Forbes. Maybe that's why he became president because the whole billionaire thing wasn't working out. It was his backup plan. It was his backup plan. But but now what's happened is he's moved from about five or about three hundred and twentieth on the richest list, Forbes Forbes richest list to. Um, about 550th. Oh, that's got to be embarrassing. It's, it's like a, when he walks in a room full of people, do they all just stop talking and look at him? Well, but he would still like in the interview say, uh, hello, I'm on the list. I'm on the list. Are you on the list? Mm. You're not on the so list. So wait, he's number what? Uh, I can't look at the number. 500 because something? I, well, I actually have a, um, I have a blocker on my phone. Oh, the ad blocker. Yeah, I have an yeah. ad blocker. And Sir, I'm I'd afraid have to the list sell stops. my soul to get on to yeah. get on the New York Forbes Post. Forbes is always like, can you turn that off? Yeah. Then you can see all our yeah. wonderful I'm stuff. I'm not going to show you anything till you let me in. The list stops at 500. But he's I'm about 500 and something on the list. Oh. And a drop from 320 or something. Missed it by that much. Uh, but there is good news. So if you want other influence, 
Seven Eleven apparently has been has has done a little end around. They have Google, UPS, Amazon, Amazon. When it comes to drone delivery, yeah. Now we had someone on earlier this week about the future of drone delivery. Yeah, it's looking it's looking good, but it's complicated. Yeah. So Seven Eleven, this was back in December, so they've been doing this for several months now. But Seven Eleven, the world's largest convenience store chain, shared a new shared new numbers from its drone delivery experiment. Seventy seven customers in Reno, Nevada. In December, received items ordered from 7-Elevens delivered to their doorsteps. Uh, items. Items. All 77 flights were from one store to a dozen select customers who live within a mile of the shop. <laughs> you know what? This is a 7-Eleven worker's dream come What does true. it take to be a select customer of a specific 7-Eleven? Not much. All they got to do now is that little, that little taquito that's been spinning. Right. Now they can just throw that in a bag. Hook it on a drone and fly it down to Larry's house. It marks the first regular commercial drone delivery service to operate in the United States, flying ahead of other potential bigger drone delivery projects, which we talked about. Yeah. Amazon Prime Air is what they're calling their service. They made some deliveries in the UK. Yeah. Right? And they televised it and put it on videos and all this. But nothing here in the United States. 7-Eleven apparently beat them all. It says here this wasn't uh, – and they're working with a company called uh, Flirty – <laughs> That's who's flying the drones. It's Flirty. My name is Jimmy um, from Flirty. Yeah. So it, the 7-Eleven drone service, uh, it is in Reno, a populated urban suburban area, yeah. which poses potential more complex set of challenges. Jeff right? was just in Reno. Reno. Uh, so the first drone delivery, they uh, it happened actually in July when a 7-Eleven's customers ordered a chicken sandwich, <laughs> donuts, candy, Slurpees. And a Slim Jim. And they uh, step into a slim so gym. That probably wouldn't have been one drone delivery because that's a, that's pretty hefty order there. That's a big drone. Yeah, the company's claim was the first time a drone delivery delivered a package to the U.S. resident who placed the order with the retailer. So now we can't just drive to the Seven Eleven. You have to make a phone call or get on the internet or whatever yeah. you're going to do. There'll be some app, something for you. In November, the drone delivery service customers ordered food, beverages, mostly over the counter medicines. Really? Hmm. <laughs> From 7-Eleven. The drone used a GPS system located at the customer's house where the drone wouldn't land, but rather hover near the ground before uh. lowering the package. So it doesn't land. It just stops, drops the package, and then moves What on. happens when they start trying to deliver beer or and, they, and alcohol? Right. This is going to – I mean, honestly, it might be safer. The drone's going to get a little tipsy. And it says all <laughs> the deliveries happen within line of sight of the drone pilot, but it was autonomous. Interesting. So they're ready to jump in if there was a problem, but you know, yeah. they're delivering a Slurpee. Come okay. On. You know what? How great is it that we beat the Russians with the drone delivery? We did. We d- we didn't. Seven Eleven did. And it said, on average, the items were delivered within ten minutes of the order. Holy cow! That's service. How fast can I get my little three day old hot dog? <laughs> Stat. We'll take a break, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you find and be the good in the world. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends. Happy, happy days are here again. 
It's chip and dip day. Mm, 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 mm. Today we celebrate chips and dip. Now, you know what? This isn't a new thing. This has been going on for thousands of years. One of the earliest dips to become popular long before chips and, uh, you know, queso and guacamole and was in the, was the Greek tzatziki. A combination of yogurt, cucumbers, garlic, and salt, and olive oil. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. Greeks still eat tzatziki uh, with meats and bread. But uh, so since then, we've been dipping. We've been dipping and chipping. And personally, I just like a really good chip and uh, salsa mix. That was a vat of dip. Ooh. Have you had a vat of dip lately? I don't think you're supposed to have a vat of anything. I think that is when it becomes unhealthy. Once uh, it reaches the vat threshold. I disagree. What really? about a vat of love? I'm, I'm talking about something that you consume. You don't consume love? <laughs> that you eat. Okay, that changes it. Yes. Um, now, you, you like, I hear, you really like... Um, Cheese in a can. I actually, that would be Terry. Oh, that's his bacon cheese whiz. Well, I purport to. I don't know if I actually yeah. do. I keep asking my wife because I know she's going to say no. But do you do you eat yeah. do you eat so much cheese in a can that it's coming out your nose? Only if you if you say something really funny <laughs> in the middle of the cheese in a can. I'm not big into the cheese in a can thing. I don't Me like neither. that. No. I mean, yeah. I've had bad experiences with it in my past. People have abused me with cheese in a can. So welcome to the show, folks. It's Near Miss Day as well. This is the day we celebrate a near miss. In 1989, an asteroid came within 500,000 miles of Mother Earth. Missed it by that much. And since then, we've had dozens of other examples of near misses. Now we're reporting them apparently every week, you know. Before, it was so big that we had to have a day for it. But remember that because you – you know what? There's a lot of near misses you may not even know about. Today on the roads, it was raining like crazy. And uh, we we have – driving up from the freeway to BYU Broadcasting Center here, it's, um, it's like driving Le Mans in the middle of a rainstorm because the roads are crazy. They're windy, lots of construction, and a lot of people apparently have horrible wipers. Because mm. everyone was all over the place today. It was a free-for-all. And you I'm know, lucky I'm, I had a bunch of near misses. I once knew a woman who was supposed to get married, and then the night before the wedding, the whole thing broke down, and she didn't get married. And so she's what I like to call a near misses. That was a long way for that one. That was a really... It's like a huge wind-up. And yet, it paid off because the audience had perfect timing and loved it. You know what? I st- I'm starting to question our audience because they don't laugh. They never laugh at my jokes. It's weird. They're always quiet and reverent. Reverent is an interesting word in that sentence. Yes, yes, it is. So happy uh, Chip and Dip Day, near miss day. We also are going to be talking uh, – one of my favorite interviews we'll be replaying with uh, Dr. Tim Pitchell. He is um, – he's going to help us with procrastination. We're going to solve the procrastination puzzle. 
I, I don't know. He's been on the show two or three times. I love him. He really helps us understand human nature, why we procrastinate, and the real science behind it. So if you tend to delay when you should be getting you're getting busy, this is the guy you got to listen to, Tim Pitchell. That'll be in a minute. Also, we're going to do some empty news, including you won't believe this, man, a naked man rescued from a California shop after a fall. Hmm. I will, I will believe pretty much anything on this show. Will you? Really? Oh, yeah. That's smart. Um, uh, Chick Shumway will be joining us. He's got an interview with this man. Well, I think he just gets a quick soundbite from him because I don't know that the man had much to say. Oh, really? Shy? Was he shy? Yeah. Well, he was in his birthday suit. Yeah. Speaking of birthdays. Yes. It's, it's a very special day today. It's Shaka Khan's birthday. Chaka, 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 Chaka Khan. Found out today she's a female. I uh, I am so not into pop culture ever. I really don't care about it. But nobody else's birthday is today. But except you brought donuts in, so I was thinking it was your birthday. When is your birthday, Jeffrey? That's kind of a direct question. Exactly. That's why I asked it right to your face on the air. Um, you don't need to give us your social. Just give us. <laughs> just give me your. Just give me the month. The month. Yeah. The month. He's, that, he's making something up. The month is currently March. Okay. This is weird. Mm. Did you see his face on that? Yeah. He doesn't want to give his birthday. Well. Mine's May 8th. Who cares? Yeah. May 8th. Fake news. Put it on your calendar. He's not giving his birthday. It must be today. You think so? Why else would he know Shaka Khan's birthday? Because he's yeah, like. I mean, it seems kind of. He knew yeah. his birthday was on the same day as Shaka Khan. Shaka huh. Khan. Chuck Khan. Like on my birthday? Yeah. Eleanor Roosevelt. Really? Except she's dead, of course. So. Oh. I don't, well, think, the, the, I don't know I'm, who has a kind birthday of a on my now. birthday. I'm yeah, going to yeah, go look yeah. it up. Uh, let's get to the headlines. Terry, what's going on around the rest of the country? The quote was, somewhat I do, President Trump said Wednesday when asked whether he feels vindicated by House Intelligence Chairman Devin Nunez's claim that the NSA surveilled his transition team. I have seen intelligence reports that clearly show that President-elect and his team were monitored, Nunez told press uh, several hours earlier at a conference. I, it, it had nothing to do with any criminal investigation. The surveillance was not related to Russia, Nunez additionally said. Nunez went on CNN and said that the monitoring by C- the CIA was not this whole wiretapping that President Trump brought up before. This is information that was brought to me. President Trump said that he felt somewhat vindicated by what you told him today. Just to be clear, there's still no evidence that President Trump himself was wiretapped. That's, that is correct. That is correct. What would you say to Democrats out there on Capitol Hill who say, it looks like maybe you're trying to give President Trump and the White House cover for this falsehood that he told a couple weeks ago? Yeah, well, look, I said the, the day after or two days later to all of you uh, that I was quite confident that President Obama did not order a wiretap on Trump Tower. Uh, however, uh, I, I have said for a long time uh, that I was worried about incidental collection because. No, he, he, he did say that. He was worried about that because what happens is they'll listen to people. Yeah. Other people get on a phone. Then they go, huh, who's this guy? And because they are now part of that investigation, then they can listen to that person, too. Well, and it's and it's weird, too, because then President Obama loosened the laws so that once this is out there, they could spread it between all the other agencies. Right. And um, and then there's also what's it called the re 
fr- uh, when they take your name, normally in intelligence settings, you don't know the person's name because yes. it's hidden. It's masked. And they, they unmask it. And yeah. once they unmask it, and they apparently unmasked Mr. Trump's name. Right. Or it was so obvious but it was him. that it didn't matter because they had some nickname or whatever. Right. He probably said tremendous quite a bit in the context <laughs> of, the, of the conversation. Bigly. According to a CNN report, ad- advocacy groups led by Charles and David Koch are promising to create a new fund for Republicans' re-election races in 2018 for Republicans who vote against the current proposed health care bill. We want to make certain that lawmakers understand the policy consequences for voting for a law that keeps Obamacare intact. Americans for Prosperity, President Tim Phillips said. It is an explicit effort to influence the vote for the American Health Care Act, which is up for a vote in the House sometime today. Hmm. So if you vote for it, these guys are going to campaign against yeah. you. I voted for it before I voted against it. It's a I famous heard. saying. Yeah, it's hmm. wonderful. Uh, assured of support from majority of Republicans, Supreme Court nominee Neil Gorsuch wrapped up two, day two of Senate questioning Wednesday to glowing GOP reviews, but complaints from frustrated Democrats that he concealed his views from the American public. Gorsuch, a federal appeals court judge from Denver, refused repeated attempts to get him to talk about key legal and political issues of the day. But he did tell uh, Senator Dianne Feinstein, is that right? Yeah, Feinstein? yeah, yeah. I always get that mixed up. Dianne Feinstein, who worried that Gorsuch would vote to restrict abortion. He said that no one, uh, no one is looking to return us to horse and buggy days. So he's not looking to walk back any rulings, any laws. Good, There's good. no agenda. He's going to discuss okay. what's in front of him that day. Aside from a few uncomfortable moments, Gorsuch generally maintained a mix of earnest talk about respect for prior court decisions, a pledge for absolute independence. When you put on the robe, you open your mind, he said. Yes, you do. He went on with some folksy humor that led to lighthearted exchanges with Republicans about his passion for fly fishing. Really? What's his name? Uh, Suter, I think, is a fly fisherman. There you go. I have never seen a fly fish, but I would imagine that they would be so annoying. And finally, more food news. We had food news in the first hour. Cheese. Yeah. Not necessarily as bad as they're telling you when it comes to the cholesterol level, mm-hmm. but limited scope on the study. It was only 1,500 people. Have as much people. cheese as you want. Just don't eat a lot of carbs with it. Yeah. Allegedly. That's the that's the lesson. Okay. Um. The restaurant chain Hardee's. Yeah. In some parts of the country, it's Hardee's. Other parts, it's Carl's Jr. Mm. I, I imagine they serve similar food. Yeah. It's the same thing. Is it? So Hardee's looking to disrupt the breakfast market with the induction of the new Apocalypse Burrito. Pardon? The Apocalypse Burrito. The Apocalypse. And the Apocalypse Biscuit. <laughs> Jeff, didn't you have an Apocalyptic Biscuit once? <laughs> so, <laughs> there's three types of pork in this Apocalypse burrito. Yeah. Four slices of ham, two sausage patties, wow, bacon pieces, <laughs> folded eggs, and American and Swiss cheese all wrapped in a warm flour tortilla. Holy If you fold cow. the eggs though, that takes away some of the calories. Yeah, I like to fluff I like to fluff them up a bit and just put egg whites in my apocalyptic burrito. And the biscuit apparently is the same thing on a biscuit. Man, alive. My you, chest tightened. You're I have pain radiating down my left arm. Is that something I should worry about? So what do you think? Is that a good choice for breakfast? You know what? I'd try it. Don't, I'm not going to not try it. I'll try it. What do you think of the name? Apocalypse. I hate it. Okay. <laughs> that's a bad name. You just know that's going to be a sci-fi original movie here in the next year or two. Yeah. The Apocalypse. That's great. 
I think I read about that in the Bible. Really? The apocalypse? Uh-huh. Wow. Maybe that's why certain religions don't like pork. Isn't that the instance where uh, where the devil goes into a, a pig? Isn't that the apocalypse? Well, that was the one where they're, I am Legion. I think they... Oh, I, Legion. That's another good that's show. That's another good show, yeah. Yeah. I don't even know where you guys are going with that. Hmm. Apocalypse. I'm still looking up birthdays. Today's Jeff's birthday. Is it really? What? Jeff, is your birthday today? What? Look me in the eye. It's his birthday. I figured it out. His wife sent donuts with him. Yeah. Wrong. And then he won't tell us when his birthday is. That's right. Wrong. And he happens to know this weird, elusive uh, fact. fact about his birthday. Shaka Khan also shares a birthday with right. him. And who would know that? Shaka Khan. Except someone. Who has yeah. grown up knowing that or, my wife shares a birthday with Elvis, so she knows that. But I actually didn't. No, Shaka Khan's birthday was today, until today. Or if you work at one of them sort of adult contemporary soccer mom type stations, and you probably bring that up as a fact because you would right. know that. Or if you, happen, job. Yeah, if you happen to love Shaka Khan. Adult contemporary soccer mom? I want to talk about that for a second. Hey, it's, let's it's talk a... about this. I want you to look me in the eye, and I want you – you're not looking. Well, you, want you, you, wear, you wear answer, glasses, answer so we me, can't trust your vision. Question. Is it your birthday? You're, you're not looking at me. Well, let me, ask, let me answer today? that question with another question. No. Was that Don Shaline that just walked up the stairs? Yeah, it's, it, it was. seriously was. There's and, all kinds of people walking and around And so there. it's your birthday, isn't it? Fake news. Let's just say this. You're either going to answer if it's your birthday or I'm going Ooh. to have to bring out some truth from your past. No. That you didn't want me to bring up. He did say his mother would be listening today. Yes. <gasps> Why would she be listening? Except it's his birthday. Uh, Happy birthday. You have to understand my mother listens most days. Mm. Does she now? But today we know she's listening. Happy birthday, Jeff. We're proud of you. 42 years young. You made it this far. Good job. This is great. Because isn't your birthday just a celebration of you not dying yet? Yeah. Okay. It's a celebration that you only have so many more years to live. Could that possibly be a more pessimistic view of your birthday? Yeah, you're a cynic. I'm sorry. The celebration of your birthday is the day where you get free popcorn from the movie theaters and a free movie from Redbox, apparently. I just found out. Well, why would you find that out? I was not looking at my email Happy birthday, Jeff Simpson. I don't know why we have to figure it out this way. Right. On air, yeah. I'm not. I have to be like a sleuth to figure out things on he, my own. He was show. dropping clues. Yeah. So well, he wasn't really trying. Well, and he's wearing it. that shirt that says, "Hey, it's my birthday." That too. Slap me. We'll have to do the birthday uh, spanking he, machine. And he's been talking about that bounce house he's rented. <laughs> yeah. <that's true. laughs> Sounds like what's this all about? <laughs> By the way, do you have any duct tape? Because there's this one oh, spot that I need yeah. to patch up. Yeah. Nice balloons, by the way. This is a lot of fun, finding out about your birthday, the day of your birthday. Thanks for bringing your own birthday treat, too. My wife got it for me. You still have not admitted it's your birthday. All the facts are there. You will not admit it. You better put dibs on one of these before they're no, all gone. I am. We're going to get on that right now. We're going to do the birthday spanking machine. Go get the producers to line up in the hall. Okay. And we'll have him do the old crawl through should their legs I, while we all spank Should I bring our HR down to participate? Yeah. Just we want you HR monitoring. Okay. You don't even have to say birthday spanking to these student producers. Just say there's free donuts in the studio. Yeah. No, don't tell them that yet. And then they, they'll, and do they anything. they'll do anything you ask if there's feeding, a free donut. Feeding they don't listen to the show. Hey, let's uh, really quickly do this one story about the naked man. Um, speaking of your birthday, naked man rescued from California sandwich shop after a fall 
Rescue workers had to remove part of a wall to pull a man uh, that was naked out of a sandwich shop where he spent the night trapped inside a narrow passage. This happens a lot. Yeah. Uh, A construction crew arriving at Napa, California, job site Tuesday heard faint calls for help coming from the closed shop. Authorities say it appears the men fell, fell into the shaft from the roof of the building. What was he doing on the roof naked? Hmm. Well, I think it says it if you keep going. Construction worker told the television station that the man said he was looking for a wishing, <laughs> a wishing well. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes no sense. Yes. There's a reason. No, no. Oh, he was looking for a wishing well. But I, le- he probably told them that as you know something that was just matter of fact. Oh yeah, I was looking for a wishing well. What were you doing on the roof naked? I was looking for a wishing well. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Yes. Uh, just can you just turn around? We're going to handcuff you now. Um, the workers removed the portion of the wall to get him out. But before they got him out, our own Shik Shumway happened to be on the scene. He's fast. He's super fast. And uh, yeah, I think I think he was actually doing a story about wishing wells that day. So here's Shik's um, catch of uh, a little audio. Sir, can you tell us how you got into this mess? There you go. Yeah. Sure. He's mad. Well, when you explain it that way, it doesn't right. sound so crazy. Well, and how disappointed would you be when you had to spend the night there instead of being in the wishing well? By the way, Shik's jaw sounds like it's doing it's, a lot better. I think it's healing. I'm so proud of him. Again, he's on it. Uh, again, we, you know, a day late, a dollar short. He's 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 always first on the scene, fifth on the facts. Shik Shumway. Great guy. We're going to take a break, folks. When we come back, we'll be uh, replaying an interview, one of my favorites, with Tim Pitchell solving the procrastination puzzle. Why we procrastinate and how to change it. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. minutes what's the worst thing if you hit the snooze three four five times do you sometimes feel like a professional procrastinator you just have a strange knack for putting things off sidestepping responsibility leaving it all until next week hmm well you're definitely not alone some researchers say that procrastination has more than doubled in the last 30 years So how do we get out of the rut of procrastination? Our guest today, Dr. Tim Pitchell, author of Solving the Procrastination Puzzle, joins us now from Ottawa, Canada, to give us some tips on beating the procrastination bug. Dr. Tim Pitchell, welcome to the show. Yeah, good morning, Matt. Good to have you back. This is um, one of my favorite subjects, sadly. It is mine, too. For 20 years, it's been my favorite subject. I know, but you don't procrastinate, do you? Actually, I kind of don't anymore. Wow. yeah, I know. It's, I it's envy not you. because it's any virtue on my part. It's because these strategies are sort of ingrained in me, and I can't. I have no wiggle room. Left. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and plus everybody's now watching you, right? Well, but, there's some truth in that, especially my children. It's yeah. hard to live with doctor procrastination. You know what? I was looking at your Facebook page. You're a musher too. 
I am. I've been running dogs for as many years as I've been running, well, even longer than I have been uh, studying procrastination. That's amazing. I mean, I guess, too, that's that's an interesting little hobby because you can't procrastinate your dog on your dogs, right? I mean, they'll die. Well, that's it, and I have horses as well. If I told you what, my, what I do between 5.30 in the morning and 8.30 in the morning, you'd think I was done for the day. <laughs> it's, it's pretty scheduled, but, you know, at the same time, it's what it's, it's driven by my values, so... As much as some of these things are chores, like moving manure or picking up dog droppings, it's all part of things that matter to me. Hmm. So, I mean, and that's, I guess that's that's a great motivator, right? Your value system should be, I guess, your your consistent anchor. That's a really important point you've made. It doesn't mean I always feel motivated. Like, I really don't like this. It's really cold up here. Well, it's not oh, actually I bet. cold right now. It's below freezing, at least, and we've got lots of snow on the ground, not as much as we typically do. So for me to pick up horse droppings around the barn and I try to keep that area clean, I have to scrape them first with a shovel and then pick them up with a fork. I do not enjoy it. Uh. There's no way I feel motivated ever. And so I have to use all of the strategies that I've learned from my research and write about to be able to do that. And, of course, once I do it, it, it really primes the pump for feeling good. But don't imagine for a minute that I walk around in a hyper state of motivation. I don't. And I think that's kind of one of the myths that we all walk around with is that I have to feel like it. That's why I love the song you started with. Yeah. I don't feel like I don't want to. Yeah, that's the whole story. I mean, we could stop the interview right now. Yeah, so we're done. That's the story of procrastination. We have that six-year-old in us that says, I don't want to. I don't feel like <laughs> I don't it. feel like it. Yeah. But it's true. And it. so what? You don't you don't feel like picking up the droppings, and you do it because you have a higher purpose, I guess. Well, maybe. I think that I also just have these little strategies by saying, well, okay, I do want the droppings picked up. If I didn't have that commitment to it, I could let them pile up. But then there are costs to that, like the springtime would be a mess. And so sooner or later, you pay the price. So I do right. know that. But so I'm walking out to the barn, and I could say to myself, oh, I, I won't pick them up today. I'll pick them up tomorrow. I'll feel more like a tomorrow. That's just the common saying. And I'm never going to feel like it. I never feel like picking up those droppings. So it's always the question of, okay, if I was going to pick up the droppings, what would I have to do right now? Well, on my way into the paddock, I need to grab that wheelbarrow. I can do that. I can grab the wheelbarrow. Hmm. You see, I'm, I'm just taking baby steps towards it. So then I bring the wheelbarrow into the paddock and I bring some sweet feet out for the horses and I walk some hay over the pasture. And I like that. I have to say, I like the walk over to the pasture. And then I come back, and the horses are heading over to the pasture, and there's the wheelbarrow looking at me. Yeah. So I think, okay, well, you know, I'll just, I'll just do a little bit around the back. I, I always just try to set the bar low, yeah. because otherwise it's overwhelming. If I think I've got to pick it all up. No, just get started. And that's my number one go-to. I always say, if I was going to do this, what would I do? Okay, I can do that. I'll just get started. And then the magic happens. And it's truly magical when you go from living in your head with all those negative emotions to just doing a little bit. It's, I guess that's almost inertia, right? You just got to get going. Yeah, there's so much truth in that, but so much of it is just in our heads. Yeah. We're, you know, we play these terrible games. I, early, early on in my research in this, and this is back in the 90s, my students and I, before smartphones were even on campuses, we put pagers on all these students and we paged them throughout the day. And certainly early in the week when they had something to do and they weren't doing it, they'd say, oh, I work better under pressure or I'll feel more like doing it tomorrow. And the great thing about following up through the week, it was that finally we get to a point where they're actually doing what they said they were supposed to do. 
And now none of them were saying, well, I'm so glad I waited till the last minute because I worked better right. under pressure. That didn't happen. Instead, they said, like, this isn't as bad as I thought. In fact, what we saw was a statistically significant difference in their ratings of difficulty and stress. Now, it didn't mean it wasn't a little stressful and it wasn't difficult, just it wasn't the monster they created at the beginning of the week that sort of paralyzed them. And so that's what happens when we just get started. We realize this isn't as bad as I thought. And the other thing that other researchers have shown us is that progress on a goal fuels our well-being. It's an upward spiral. Oh, really? So just getting started starts to fuel that magic thing. And that's why that notion of priming a pump is so appropriate. Just a little bit of water in the pump is necessary to get the pump to have some pull. Yeah. And I didn't didn't realize, though, that it really – I mean, just any progress on it – tends to, I guess, create a sense of maybe well-being. Again, I mean, you feel better. Absolutely. And that's why, you know, a a very big task, you're not necessarily going to finish it today, but you find a way into it. Uh, I I really don't like writing letters of reference. It's my common example because they're high stakes for the students I'm writing for or for employees. And they're very difficult for me because I have to find the right words and I Mm -hmm. have to make sure that I'm writing to the right audience. And so it's something for me to, I'll just get this negative feeling about, oh, I've got to write that letter of reference. And I'll say, okay, I'm not going to write that letter of reference, but if I was going to, what would I do first? Well, I have to open up the email from the student and see who it's for. Oh, open up the email and read that. I could do that. And you see where that's going. Now now I'm actually on task, even though I didn't say I was going to do it. So I read it and I say, okay, now if I was going to write this letter, but I don't really want to, what would be the next step? Well, I just have to open a blank, blank piece of letterhead and copy and paste that address for the university over there. Oh, I could do that. I can do that. Yeah, and, and you know what? That's so true. Uh, David Allen, who's written the wonderful books amongst many, you know, Getting Things Done, he captures it so well when he says, what's the next action? Because we don't do projects, we do actions. Right. So I always ask myself, what's the next action? And that's, you know, that's the bottom line for us. And then what that does, though, is it takes me out of all that rumination, all those right. negative thoughts I'm having. We just get, we get stewing in our own juices, and of course we want to escape that, and we escape it by putting it off. Mm. And that's where procrastination has a lot in common with, say, gambling or overeating. One day you'll realize, you know, I'm not eating the second row of cookies because I'm hungry. <laughs> I'm eating these because there's something else going on here. And it's the same with procrastination. There's something else that's going on there is I'm trying to find a way to cope with all these negative feelings. Well, one of the ways to cope with all those negative feelings is just let them go. Like they're they're just there, and they're alive and well in us, and we're not going to... It's like stopping to think, trying to stop to thinking about a white elephant. You don't do that. You can't repress it. You just got to look past it, let it go, and go on in spite of that. And you can do that by just asking yourself the question like, and getting into an action. Yes. Just get doing something. I mean, the, I mean, the minute you're doing an action, your brain probably starts thinking different thoughts to manage the action. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And you stop thinking. Sometimes that's the most important. Oh, yeah. That's true, huh? Right. You're you're into doing and not thinking. So a lot of us will put off doing health behaviors. Like, so you've bought a new exercise machine of some sort, whether it be a a stationary bicycle or an elliptical trainer, and there it sits. Yeah. (laughs) A lot of money on it, and it's starting to collect dust. And it's because you look at it and go, oh, I don't have the energy. I don't feel like it. As if you're supposed to feel like it. Right. This whole notion of. And, and the thing is, no, I'm just going to go stand. The elliptical. <laughs> I'm just going to stand there, and I'm going to start moving my legs. Just set the threshold low. Now, the, the irrational thing, the crazy thing about people is that, like, 10 minutes later, I, I think I'm an Olympic athlete. Right? Yeah, that's right. I am incredible. <laughs> I'm into it. And, 
and that's but that's the great thing. I mean, the magic happens when you lower the threshold and you say, no, I just have to get started here. I don't have to think about sweating or working out till I throw up, or I don't have to think about having to do five workouts this week. Just right now, I'm just going to stand on the machine and move my legs. And <laughs> so much of our lives, we need that. And, you know, there's an old Buddhist story of the monk who's seeking enlightenment, the novice, and he goes to the master and he says, Master, I've been doing all the meditation, but what do I need to do to achieve nirvana, to achieve my enlightenment? And he looks at him kind of incredulously and says, have you finished eating your rice? And he said, yes, then, then wash your bowl. <laughs> and, and what I love about that is that it kind of goes right back to the mundane of what David Allen's saying is that what's the next action? So, yeah. and, and when you put those two together, the, the light bulb really goes on is that, and that really gets to life, isn't it? Like, yeah. we're, we're temporarily, the only thing that you and I are going to run out of is time. The only non-renewable resource we have in our lives are t- is time. And then what's the next thing I have to do? Like, that, that, that's, that's the enlightenment. That's the wisdom. That's, this is your life, man. What is it the next thing in front of you? And do it and don't make more of it than that. And oh. I, I find that I find that so um, uplifting at one level and freeing. You yeah, know, freeing. It really is freeing. You know, when I come in from doing my chores, it, there's a sense of wholeness that that's what I was supposed to do. Yeah. Isn't that and, – and again, it's such – I love simplicity on the far side of complexity. Like I yeah. love it when you finally get to that thing. It really is – it's just what will you do now? What's the next act? What's – and oh, – oh. And yeah. we, we could, we, a lot of us get consumed in action that isn't meaningful too, right? So you're not, you're not saying you're, – you're saying get to the next meaningful act. Yes. Or, and actually, or, or necessary act. Necessary act or even just any act related to the thing that I have to do. Yeah, that, yeah, that matters to you. Yeah. Yeah, because you – yeah. But uh, like don't, like don't go get into – I don't know. Don't go just keep watching another segment of Netflix. Oh. Well, there's a the bottomless pit for you. In fact, talk I, about that. Why why is it the last thirty years that we're falling more into procrastination? I'm assuming it's Netflix. We've got to blame well, someone. It's all of our technology, our yeah. handheld devices. You know, uh, when we used to get bored, we attend attend to something, and then it would get boring too. But mm-hmm. you know, there, there's nothing like the internet. To it's a bottomless pit of <laughs> one click to another, and you start you start with really saying, well. Okay, I'm going to work on this, but it'll only take me a minute to check my email. Now, the problem with that is that a minute later, we face the same decision. And then three hours later, we wonder why it is we're watching cat videos again. Right? <laughs> and, and the reason was is that we never really made the decision to leave our work. We said, it'll only take me a minute to update my Facebook status. That's true. Or to send out one tweet. But then you say, it'll only take me a minute to see what so-and-so has done. Oh, it'll only take me a minute to check that link that so-and-so sent. Mm-hmm. And now you don't even know where you are. You're, the other thing about the Internet is that it has no spatial uh, locators for you. You, know, you. you just get lost in it. So having these devices is really difficult for us. And to the point now we know we're killing each other on the roads because we think we're multitasking. We can't put the thing down. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's, we are um, endangering our attention that way. And uh, the bad news is we do have to shut it off. Right? The first thing we need to do often to get other things done is to reduce the distractions. And that's such an unpalatable thing to say to people. Oh, totally. No, yeah. yeah. And, and it's I'm hard. I'm reaching for my phone before I realize I'm reaching for my phone. No, exactly. Yeah, and and, so. it's, and it's, so, it's just so habitual. Like it's, we think once we have a free space, grab the phone. Yes. 
or right. even if we don't have a free space. Yeah, we, that's true. Make it. We, we, we've, we've, we, it, um, it gives us an immediate pleasurable response. I liked what you said a few minutes ago, Matt, about how uh, something so complex can uh, be so simple. Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, we could talk about procrastination from a neuroscientific perspective. Although the neuroscience is far from complete, we could start talking about how the limbic system of the brain is the oldest evolutionary part, and it's all about feeling, and we have these quick feelings, and then we have this new evolutionary part of the brain called the prefrontal cortex, and that's the planful organizational part. And just this week in science, actually, there's a journal article showing that there might be a, a gene that's being expressed that's changing the pruning of the synapses in the prefrontal cortex that might lead to schizophrenia. Oh, yeah. so there's this really complex story about what makes us human, but the way you and I experience it is, I don't want to. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like it. I don't feel like And it really does go like back to the three-year-old or the four-year-old. It absolutely does. And in my house, that's why it's hard to be the son or daughter of Dr. Procrastination. <laughs> I look at my son and, or my daughter and say, I didn't ask you how you felt or that's what right. you want to do. You know, my dad said that, and he wasn't even a Ph.D., <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because I think we all, it's just, it's that wisdom. That's why I think you resonated to that. Like, I like it when it gets down to simple truth. It's so true. You how you, what you feel like. It's time to pick up the That's food. right. Just get moved. Yeah, try to go, to, time to shovel out the, the barn. Yeah. Uh, we're speaking with Dr. Tim Pitchell. Tim, let's take a break, come back. I want you to get into your book, um, Solving the Procrastination Puzzle. Keep sure. giving us some tools for how we, we kind of chunk it down and, and make life you know, get over the feeling of it all and get into, let's just do what we need to do. Um, it's interesting. It sounds almost antithetical to a healthy life, but it really is about getting moving and getting stuff um, that matters to us accomplished. Stick with us, folks. We'll continue the discussion after the break. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Don't wake me. I plan on sleeping in. Now, that's the deal. If you're going to plan it, then you're just delivering on your plan of sleeping in. But if you pretend like you're going to get up and go feed the horses, like Dr. Tim Pitchell's teaching us, then guess what? You're probably procrastinating if you're now going to plan on sleeping in. Joining us is Dr. Tim Pitchell, and um, he's the author of the book Solving the Procrastination Puzzle. He joins us now from a chilly, frigid Ottawa, Canada. Dr. Tim, welcome back to the show, my friend. Thanks very much, Matt. I really uh, I love your expertise in this. And I love, I mean, you're making it simple and it's human nature. And um, you started the show uh, last break about the fact that it's a value. If, if we have a value, you use your value system, you said, to make these hard decisions. Mm-hmm. And... So one of the things I keep, I guess, running into with this idea of procrastinating is it's it's almost – I don't know what you call it, but it seems like some of us are procrastinating doing important things and um, we're actually not being – we're not even acting. We're not being busy um, in life and some of us are actually seeming busy and active but we're still not doing important things. Yeah, we can't admit to ourselves that we're not doing the important things. I remember last year I was walking across campus and a colleague from another department came up to me around 5 p.m. I was just heading to the parking lot and he said, Tim, you got to tell me what's wrong with me. 
I've been busy all day doing stuff, but there's one thing that's, that's due today, and I still haven't done it, and I'll be up till midnight now. Why did I do that to myself? Yeah. And so here's a very accomplished person, and yet he fell prey to that. I'll be busy, but he, he was still doing the avoidance, and that's because he wouldn't break the ice on just getting started on that really important task. He was dodging it emotionally. So that's all. We're always going to have to come back to that in this conversation that procrastination is an emotion-focused coping strategy. It's not about time management. It's about getting past our reluctance, our, re- our own internal resistance to it. Hmm. Yeah, so we can appear really busy, but that busyness can be just a big scam to keep us away from the task we're really supposed to be doing. It's uh, an emotion-focused coping strategy. Yeah. And so your problem isn't the task. Your problem is the barrier of your aversion. Yeah, to the task. Yeah, your, your thoughts about feelings about that task, that, and th- those are often non-conscious. Like you're having these this emotional response that happens really quickly. Even just the thought of the task makes you cringe. Yeah, I, I've I've met people from all walks of life having done this for so long. Whether it be lawyers or judges or salespeople, but salespeople in particular, you know, might be the cold call. Yeah, make the call. Really. Make the call. And, and and they'll say, yeah, I'm just avoiding that. And I'll say, okay, so how are we going to set it up so you get started? And, and, you know, earlier on, we talked about the fact that things can be really complex, but we can keep them simple. Uh, behind a lot of this is science and theory, so we can talk about event segmentation theory, where we cognitively have lots of scripts about how things unfold, like even about how, what we do when we have a shower, what we do when right. we brush our teeth. And so for a long time, I wasn't uh, flossing my teeth. I'd brush my teeth all the time, and I had my bedtime routine for brushing my teeth, but I couldn't seem to stick flossing in there. And the same sorts of principles of how I got to start flossing my teeth can then be applied to someone making a cold call. And so I set myself up to floss my teeth by making this pre-commitment, something called an implementation intention, because you wanted to talk about strategies. Yeah. So this implementation intention, this pre-commitment is that it's a simple thing. It's a sentence we can all encode right now, when then or if then. So when I pull out my toothpaste, because I always did that, that was a habit, then I will put the floss on the counter. Mm. When I put down my toothbrush, then I will pick up the floss. You know, yeah. it sounds so silly and simple, but it was life-changing. But do you write a script like that? I mean, do you really like think through your morning routine and say, when I hang my towel up, then I will whatever? Well, that's interesting, you know, and this is where it gets complex in the research because the, one of the best papers on event segmentation theory talked about the shower script and that sometimes it's not best to insert things like toothbrushing into your shower script. It just doesn't fit. They don't yeah. jive. It's, it's, yeah. and so it might not even where, be hygiene, hygienic. It might be that's unhealthy. Right. It gets nuanced. Yeah. But you, you could, and one of the reasons for that, again, the, the science shows is that people with better prospective memories, people who can remember things better, don't need signs. But some of us need to put a little sticky mm-hmm. note on My daughter, for example, I really wanted her to learn to type because she struggles with um, language. So she's a really bright kid, but language, she don't get along. It's not her forte, yeah. So I'm... I'm I'm jacking up the, the rewards, and she, I know she wants a, an iPhone. She hasn't ever had an iDevice. Said, I'm happy to buy you one, but you have to be able to touch type. Oh, Dad, I can't do it. I'll fail, because she feels that way yeah. all the time. I, I said, if you just come home every day from school in 20 minutes, do this program, in a couple months you'll be touch typing. But I won't even remember this is the issue. So I said, and what she's going to face today, it's funny you raise this today, when she comes home, she's going to see a sign on the closet door. She's going <laughs> to see a sign in the kitchen that says, Laurel, go do your 20 minutes. Yeah. And so some of us do need that sticky note. 
But I want to go back to the issue both of the salesman and the cold calls and me flossing my teeth. So I'm picking up, now I'm putting down my toothbrush and I've made this pre-commitment. I'm picking up the floss, but don't think for a minute I want to. I, I'm got, already I'm coming up with a million excuses. I don't feel like it right. tonight. I'll just skip tonight. You know, it, I'll feel more like it tomorrow. Like these habits are hard. Like we have this uh, this uh, immediate visceral response to, I don't want to do it. It took me months, and now I can't imagine not going to bed without flossing my teeth. You know, finally, mm. it's become the prepotent response. So anybody that's struggling with some part of their lives, that it may be that aversive cold call, you have to set it up around some routine you already have going for you. And then, and then stick it in there. Yeah. You're just picking up the phone and dialing the, the one number. So, yeah, these are the tricks that uh, Peter Galwitzer from New York University has done an extensive amount of work on this notion of implementation intention. Yeah. Shown in numerous studies that just making this pre-commitment of when then, putting the stimulus for action out in the environment is a game changer too. If, it's, it's, if, if you're committed. Well, yeah, and... and... But it also what's I think fascinating about this is the it's a, this is a process of becoming a stronger human. You're every one of these tasks. It's just flossing your teeth for heaven's sakes. Mm-hmm. But you've made a commitment and and you've actually and you're keeping it. And now and you've a bit I guess habituated it. You've it's it's now you. Yeah, and that and isn't that true? That's that the existentialists argue that we are what we do. Yeah, you know we're always facing these choices. Am I going to be the guy who watches 10 more episodes on Netflix? Or am I the guy that's just going to go and do yoga for 20 minutes or go for the run? Or whatever it is that we think the, that we're striving for in our lives. Hmm. And we can choose to sit still. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's funny that when you said, you know, choosing to stay in bed. There's many mornings when choosing to stay in bed is the right thing. Right. We were up, up late last night uh, for work or because your kids were sick. Well, the sleeping in makes perfect sense. It's when you don't get out of bed when the alarm's going off and that your intention was to get up that now what's going on here? Why are you becoming your own worst enemy? This, I, I heard just this week on the radio there's a new alarm clock that you can't shut it off until you stand on the carpet. And you have to stand <laughs> on the carpet for three seconds. Holy cow. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it works, I guess. I guess so. But, you know, the old version of that was the same notion of the pre-commitment of you realize you keep hitting the snooze button, so you put the alarm across the room. Right, right, exactly. So there isn't a snooze button within reach. Now, again, that pre-commitment requires some action, and then you get uh, the secondary procrastination. You know, yeah. The second-order procrastination is I procrastinate putting the clock across the room. So we can continue to be our own worst enemy even when we know these things. Oh, do you um, – in a weird way, too, it seems like this parallels other uh, – theory, like about, even about anxiety. Um, a lot of us uh, that have anxiety, we, the feeling, we think the feeling matters. Mm. And we believe the feeling more than the logic behind it or what else we know. So we end up talking about everything, like our teachers that are stupid, that don't understand us, and they always give us too much homework instead of getting down to the root cause of the anxiety. Yeah. And then and when we realize that anxiety... We poke at that a little bit, and that's what we can do in a good therapeutic relationship. And I'd always encourage people to consider that if you're bothered by your anxiety or some of your irrational fears, and certainly procrastination can result from fear of failure that's quite irrational, is you have to poke at some of those and say, what would be the worst thing if? And then you realize that it's, it's, you're making it up. Mm-hmm. Right? It's not real. And that's really the back end of the power of getting started. That's what we learned in that research earlier, that students say, gee, 
when I got started on this wasn't nearly as bad as I thought it would be. Right. And that's often the case. We make these things bigger in our own minds. But some of us, that's where we need to start because we spend a lot of time ruminating and making these very negative places for ourselves. And so there's a therapy called uh, acceptance commitment therapists who work very much on that about how to accept the negative emotions and pain in your life, but still move forward, even though, yeah, that's alive and well in your brain. It's not going away, right? Mm-hmm. It's, you, that's kind of ingrained there now. And if you think you're going to get rid of it in a couple of days, it's not going to happen. But can you learn to live with it and, and move past it? Absolutely. Is, is, where does willpower play into this? And, well, and is that, I mean, I know there's some interesting research on willpower, but mm-hmm. what, what, I mean, that's really all you're saying when you're going to go make a pre-commitment, it's, I guess, you're engaging will. To some extent, but then you've got to watch about how often you draw on willpower, because the best research we have by Roy Baumeister and Diane Tice and others out of Florida State and all their colleagues is that it's a bit of a limited resource. We can exhaust it pretty quickly. And so when you're going to use it, use it strategically. That kind of comes back to Mark Twain's famous statement, if your job is to eat a frog, then eat it first thing in the morning. It's going to get harder. Right? Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, and even, uh, so Mark Twain on the one hand, and we got Viktor Frankl, the mm. famous Viennese psychiatrist on the other, who spent time in a Nazi concentration camp. He said the same thing, that, you know, I've learned to do the difficult things first and get them out of the way. So th- that came from, in life, learning that, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to have the energy at the end of the day. I'm, I'm going to be worn out. And psychologically, we call that no more willpower, but we just feel it as a lack of energy. Mm. So we do have to use it. Willpower, you asked the question of how does it come in? Well, we have some. It's a limited resource. We have to use it strategically um, to go back to Mark Twain's uh, quote, if you know, if you have a job is eat a frog, eat it first thing in the morning. If your job is two frogs, eat the biggest one first. <laughs> and I think most of us feel that way about our lives sometimes. Okay, right. On my desk are a whole bunch of frogs. Yeah. <laughs> now I better start with the biggest one because once I got that one down, the rest are going to seem easy. That's so true. What, what, is, what of this is about personality? Like, well, I mean, some people, I just know, I have people in my life that they eat dirt just because it's good for them. And I, I sit there and I'm a little more free flow. That's the story I tell. But um, in the end, is, is, is some of this just personality? Some people just are always going to be on time. Or is it, is it changeable, I guess? Well, personality is kind of what's bred in the bone. And so it's changeable to a point. We can act out of character. But for those of us who are not very conscientious, that means we're not very dutiful by nature or organized. And this is a major personality trait that 50% is heritable. Like hmm. genetics show us that, yep, a lot of this comes from mom and dad. It's, it's not easy to change. It's, it's our go-to sort of way of being in the world. We have to lay strategies on top of it. And we can act out of character, but that takes a bit of willpower in itself. So absolutely, some of us are set up to fail, in terms of if I'm very anxious and neurotic, and that, I mean that in a personality sense, yeah. it doesn't mean the, the movie sense of neurotic, but that you're prone to depression and worry. If you're not very conscientious and you're impulsive, and then maybe you've internalized a lot of negative expectations from other people, well, there's just the perfect storm yeah. for the procrastinator. So absolutely, many of us are set up to have some inherent weaknesses, but think of any aspect of your life. So you're in a certain sport. You don't have every attribute that necessarily that makes you the best candidate for that sport. You work around it. So, yeah, there's, there's things there that 
um, can work against us and other things that can work in our favor. And that's when we think, okay, I'm going to lean on this strategically. Like I'm going to leverage that part of my life because I know this part of my life is a relative weakness. And so for some people it would be, gee, if I want to stop procrastinating or, or do less of it, I've got to become more organized. For another right. person, it wouldn't be organization at all. It would, I have to learn to count to ten because I'm so impulsive. Like, as soon as something comes up, I'm gone. And <laughs> so the, the implementation intention becomes, if someone asks me out tonight, if or when, when they ask me out, then I'm going to say, I'll tell you in 10 minutes. Because mm. now I'm learning to harness that strategy of implementation intentions around a predisposition to be impulsive. So you can still lay on these strategies, but... You're right, Matt. Some of us are prone to procrastinate. And again, but that also can become our great story, <laughs> right? It can, or our great excuse. A great excuse is a better word for it, isn't it? No, it's yeah, so true. Yeah. Well, Dr. Tim, for, you'll read, go ahead. No, go talk about your blog. Yeah, I read a blog for Psychology Today, and, and two posts ago I wrote about this notion of uh, I am so lazy. What does it mean to say that? And sometimes that can just be a terrible excuse. You just... You're saying that I am this, so therefore I'm excused from all the rest of the things. And it's an inauthentic way of being in the world, is yeah. what I argue. So if those of you who want to talk about personality as being an excuse, you might want to look at that. Uh, yeah, that's a great article. And, and again, your blog, um, your, your website, what's the best way to get to Procrastination Research Group? Well, just procrastination.ca. So you talked about me being up here in the Great White North. Yeah. So if you just remember .ca. it's .ca, not .com procrastination.ca. Well, we appreciate you. Dr. Timothy A. Pitchell, go check out that website. Um, it really, you're, you're a gem, Tim. And every time I talk to you, I feel like I've got hope and I'm jacked up. That's good. But it's, so now, now that's the and. Now I got to go do something. Go start acting. Or you always do, Matt. It's always a dance. It is a so dance, I, isn't I enjoy it? talking with you very much, too. Thanks, Tim. We'll have you back again. And uh, go look him up, too, on Psychology Today. He's... He's everywhere, folks. Oh, and the book, Solving the Procrastination Puzzle. Those are the solutions, those tips that he's been giving us. They're in those books as well and are in that book as well. And on his blogs, he's, he's very abundant in giving the answers and the tools that people need. We're going to take a break, folks. If, uh, if you feel like you, you, you got to get doing something, start thinking about it. What, uh, what, what could you do? Think of the hard thing you got to get done today. If you were going to do that one hard thing, how would you get started? Just go just go do that. Go do that. We'll take a break, folks. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. Town, 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 town. Welcome back, friends. Yes, that is the, uh, the best-selling hit, Town Town, from the Matt Townsend uh Town Town, which is the area on Townsend Abbey. Townton. The, the historic downtown oh, district. Town Townton Abbey. It should be yeah, Townton Abbey. Maybe we should call it Townsend Abbey. Mm. Townton Abbey. By the way, up to about eighty two thousand people in my little city and ninety three percent happiness holding steady. Airport? Airport not yet. That's Ro- a big step. Do you have roads that connect to the outer areas? No. Like other but cities? But I've, I've grown – no, 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 not yet. Okay. I've grown to other areas. I mean I'm, how, I'm expanding my territory. How do people get into your city? Is this birth rate? More yeah. importantly, they, how they, do they get out of your city? Well, there's that too. They get out. You they said there's a out. port, but who takes a, a boat? 
Oh, lots of people. Apparently. It's so there, a very popular way of transportation. There, there were 8 million people, yeah. and now there are 82,000. So they're dropping, they're dropping no, 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 like there were, flies. There were 8 people, and now there's 80,000. So mm-hmm. it's, they're, they're going like crazy. Hey, by the way, before we break, um, happy birthday to the birthday boy. Chaka, 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 chaka Khan. Not Chaka Khan. Um, chaka Jeff. Mm. Happy birthday. And by the way, they're coming in. They're just coming in in thousands to come get a donut from Jeff and to do the spanking machine. We'll take a break, folks. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Boy, oh boy, what a special day it is today. It is Jeffrey Liam Simpson's birthday today. Chaka Khan, Chaka Khan. Also, Chaka Khan's birthday. Found out earlier in the show, Chaka Khan is a female. I did not know that because that that voice sounds like a male voice. And so I'm thinking that must be Chaka Khan. Well, the song, the song that she sings is with a rapper. OK, there you go. That that explains it. By the way, Jeffrey uh, Liam Simpson, big into rapping. Uh, he's the, he's a 34-year-old rapper. Today, they've been coming in one by one to pay tribute. Homage. If you to pay homage, to give the yeah. spanking. We, we like to do the birthday, birthday spankings here on the Matt Townsend But mostly show. to get a donut. And a lot of them are picking a donut up when they're on their way through. All the chocolate ones are gone. I know. I got a maple it's all, bar. Nobody ever takes the sugar no. donut, though. No, I don't think I've seen you have one yet. I had one and a half at my desk. Okay. Um, well, happy birthday. Congratulations. Thank you. You're you, welcome. You made it this far. It's uh, it's also, by the way, near miss day. I don't Missed know what by that much. I don't know what they, these two have in common, but mm. you know, because it seems like Jeff was not a near miss. He was a direct hit. Well, and he is a direct hit. Right. Sounds like a different conversation for a different time. I think you're right. Today we got a great show. Um, we will be talking, um, we're doing a replay of a, an interview on how to create thriving relationships at midlife and beyond. This is an, a, something what, what just is, getting closer what to is every midlife? day. midlife? It would be the middle of your life. Yeah, but what, what age would that be officially? I would probably, I would personally say more like 55 to 60, like when you're starting, when your kids are starting to leave the house. Okay, okay. I would think that unless you're a soothsayer or a, some sort of clairvoyant, you mm. wouldn't know when the middle of your life was. Yeah, well, it's not actually designed to be in the middle of your life. It's kind of the middle stage of life. Oh, okay. You know, Stephen Wright always joked that he knew when he was going to die because his birth certificate had an expiration date on it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he's great. I love him. And I'm glad it's your birthday and you're one day closer to death. Thank you. I mean, I mean that from the heart. Sincerely. So we'll be talking about midlife uh, crises, kind of, but really how to thrive during that stage. Also, um, today, we've got some interesting empty news we'll be covering. Uh, Empty meaning Matt Townsend news. Again, people still think it's like empty, meaning it contains it's devoid of anything. But we know it's not. It's, It's chock full of stuff. Just some of it isn't very important. Stuff is a a great way to describe it. It really is. Uh, A car that launches 210 feet into a frozen Minnesota lake, and the driver survives. 
We'll get into that fun, crazy story, miracle story. Uh, today also we'll be visiting our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. We just found out it's going to be Jerem and Jason today. They came in for a little donut fix and a birthday treat. I just remember what you could talk to them about later. What? The Sweet 16 starts tonight. That's it. That's I, I just it. I had that I knew on there my was mind. another sports thing going on. Yeah. So we will. We'll get into Sweet 16 with those two and the dynamic duel. Plus, we'll do a hero of the day. Uh, got a lot to cover. Again, celebrating Jeff's birthday. And in a few minutes, we're going to let Jeff just leave leave everybody some words of wisdom now that he is a day older and wiser. So, Jeff, be getting ready for that. Okay. Your words of wisdom. Now, first, uh, let's turn to the headlines with a, a very wise man, Terry South. Terry, what's going on around the rest of the country? I'm just going to start with this because I happen to have it on my phone at the moment. But Fortune Fortune Magazine has named the uh, manager, or not the manager, but the uh, the guy in charge of the Cubs, Theo Epstein. Yeah. So he's not on the field. He's a management guy. But they, they dubbed him the greatest leader in the world. Wow. After helping thought, helping the Cubs win their first World I Series. I thought Trump and, was the greatest world leader. Well, I don't know what that's going to mean. Theo Epstein. The, oh, boy. There's going to be a tweet about this. Yeah. We'll have hmm. to see what happens. Okay. In other news, private communications of Donald Trump and his presidential transition team may have been scooped up by American intelligence officials monitoring other targets and improperly distributed throughout spy agencies, the chairman of the House Intelligence Committee said on Wednesday. He then... Uh, went over and talked to the president about it, even though he's conducting an investigation involving the president, yeah. which some people saw as, what are you doing? Are you an advocate for the president, or are you going to conduct an investigation independent it of everyone weird. else? He didn't, tell, and he didn't tell the Democratic chair either. His so. staff told I said, hey, you may want to talk to your, your, your Democratic colleagues before you do this. And he went, no, I'll talk to them later. He went and talked They'll to the president, fine. then he talked to the press, okay. and then he talked to the Democrats, and the Democrats aren't happy. Uh, Adam Schiff is the uh, ranking member on this committee, so the number two. Yeah, and uh, he all he said he goes, he has seen more than circumstantial evidence that Trump associated their associates colluded with Russia in back-to-back news conferences at the Capitol, then at the White House, where he privately briefed the president. Nunez said he was concerned by officials handling the communications in the waning days of the Obama administration. Wow! So we'll see where this goes. Okay. Apparently, there's a lot of hair on fire, even though Adam Schiff does not have much hair. <laughs> Nunez, great hair. Now, Nunez great has got some great guy. hair. Members of the staunchly conservative House Freedom Caucus said they were not swayed uh, by the uh, health, the AHCA, which is the new health law, by uh, uh, late, latest meetings with Vice President Mike Pence and other Trump administration officials Wednesday. Several members said the Trump administration still didn't seem open to making any further significant changes to the Obamacare repeal bill championed by the White House and House Republican leadership. Following the White House meeting, members of the caucus headed to the ca- Capitol Hill to discuss the GOP repeal and replace efforts. In that meeting, members reaffirmed their stated commitment to kill the current form of Trump care. Wow. They're going to kill it. That's strong language. So we'll see how that fight goes throughout the day. There should be a vote sometime in the next 12 hours. Oh, boy. AT&T, Johnson & Johnson, and other companies joined a group of growing list of companies pulling their ads from YouTube over, con- over concerns Google isn't doing enough to filter out hate speech on the video sharing site. The boycott by the two major advertisers comes as a hundreds of global brands shun Google, which owns YouTube, over ads appearing besides extremist videos on the site. A statement issued by AT&T on Wednesday said the company was deeply concerned that our ads may have appeared alongside YouTube content promoting terrorism and hate. Uh, this is oh, yeah. the New York Times. You, oh. 
That's hard. Others said this is a coordinated effort to push back on Google, which has a lot of power when it comes to advertising well, on the internet. And how crazy is this? So that means if you do want to be positioned in the ad space of where terrorists are, right. you can do that too. Yeah. I guess weird. It's kind of odd. I'd like to be near but some jihadist, please. These ads, they just randomly sort of appear. Yeah. There's no... I mean, they're not saying, okay, here's an ad, here's a video, we're going to put them together. It just sort of happens. But if you're AT&T, right. you don't want an ISIS video, and there's your phone. Or Honda. Video. Yeah. It's just <laughs> Honda not, of America. It's not good for the company. It's no, not good for anybody. So they're, the U.S. won its first baseball classic title wins tonight, beating Puerto Rico 8 nothing at Dodger Sweet. Stadium. The game first, the first time Team USA has ever made it to the championship game. In wow. The World Big baseball time. Classic. And finally, everyone believes that artificial or pre-recorded calls, otherwise known as robocalls, robocalls. are awful, writes the Federal yeah. Communications Commission Chair Ajit Pai in a new piece uh, appearing at, on the website The Hill. They're intrusive, they're unwanted, and they also may be on their way out. As Pai notes, the FCC on Thursday will vote on a proposal to allow phone companies greater leeway to block calls from numbers they have reason to believe are spammy or scammy. Oh, by the way, spammy or scammy, huh? Yeah, those are official government yeah. document that says spammy or scammy. The proposal is purport, or supported by 33 major carriers and phone manufacturers, including Verizon, AT&T, Sprint, T-Mobile, Apple, and Microsoft. Yeah. It is expected to be approved. They want to uh, give the phone company the opportunity to shut down robocalls. I love it. Now, remember the do not call list. Right. Did you ever sign up for the do not call list? Yeah, I did. Didn't, I don't know didn't what really happened. Work. Right. Well, they yeah. said it didn't work because what happened is the companies would spoof your caller ID to make it look like they're calling from in your state, in your zip code, yep. and not look so spammy. I signed up for the do not call list, and I also signed up for the do not resuscitate order. That's different, but yeah. okay. That way, if I am on the phone with a telemarketer and I die, right. no one should resuscitate me. Okay. Mm-hmm. To each his own. Yep. So what do you think about that? Chicago Cubs president of baseball operations named by Forbes as the the world's greatest leader. No, but is is this that baseball? Was this the catcher guy? Was this the no? He was the he was the president of operations for the Boston Red Sox. Took them to the World Series. Okay, yeah, that's and then he came into Chicago. He did. He blew up two. Changed Chicago's futures, yeah. and all of a sudden, here we have Chicago Cubs winning the World Series. I don't Series. know if he's the best leader, but he's definitely a warlord or a, a warlock. He could right? be a warlord too, depending he, on how intense baseball is. He's something because. You'd need some type of, you know, magic to make those two things happen. Now, one thing, he is a good-looking individual. Oh, that's true. Right? Yeah. So maybe on looks, maybe yeah. that gives him a couple bonus points. But this points, is but... Forbes. This isn't L magazine. Now, this is business, but we have a businessman president. But he turned around. He turned around. Yeah. He turned around know. business. He turned around two franchises that had curses. I mean, who does that? Yeah. He overcame the supernatural to win yeah. World Series titles. There you know, was a goat involved with one of them. Right, right, Babe right. Ruth with the, the curse of the Bambino. He beat that. This is incredible. So maybe, I don't know. maybe they're onto something. Do you think that'll elicit a tweet from a certain individual? Oh, sure. Okay. The, the person that thinks that he's the best world leader. Right. We all know who the real best world leader is. It's Jeffrey Liam Simpson, because today he's 34 years old. Jeffrey, you still working on your address? Yes, I wasn't expecting to make a speech, but I'm semi-prepared now. Okay, so I, I'm going to give you maybe two more minutes. Then we will all hear the birthday speech from Liam. 
Okay. Liam Simpson. Hey, uh, not only are we getting donuts today, um, but the Sweet Tooth is hitting apparently a thief with a Sweet Tooth. He admits at robbing the same store three times. It's the uh, three strikes and take your seat in a cell for a thief with a Sweet Tooth. New Jersey prosecutor says a Newark man pleaded guilty Monday to robbing the same 7-Eleven store three times in four days. Three times in four days. Because those donuts were so good. Each time, Idris Allen grabbed candy from the store and brandished a knife. About 14 hours after the last robbery in December 2015, Allen was captured after he went back to the store and took merchandise and left again. The shift manager followed him and pointed him out to police. Authorities say Allen was arrested across the street from a police precinct building. I mean... I think that explains a lot, right? This is why you throw out a memo that we have donuts for your birthday, and one by one, people come to visit us in the studio that normally never set foot in here. Yeah. Jerem Jordan has never said hello to me in his life. I know. Now he did. Mm. Uh, I think his name's Jerome. Jerome? Jerome Jordan. Um, But so I think it's because chemically our brains change with sugar. So this guy didn't even realize he had robbed this 7-Eleven. He thought he had robbed other 7-Eleven stores. Makes sense. little note to everybody out there in listener land. If you're going to rob a 7-Eleven, you don't need to do it anymore because they deliver. Send, have them send you a big package of stuff, and then when it gets there, just take down the drone. Well, in Reno. Yeah, in Reno. Go to Reno. Oh, okay. Get an order from 7-Eleven. Once they deliver it, before you pay for it, take down the drone. I think he robbed the 7-Eleven because they carry items that you probably shouldn't be paying money for anyway. Right. They should be free because they're gifts from heaven. 7-Eleven. Gifts from heaven. Oh, thank heaven, 7-Eleven. Exactly. See? All right. Now, as it's birthday time and I would love to just celebrate those that are honorable and decent and good, those wonderful people that give back so much. To the world that uh, know how to love with such a big heart as I would like to do that but can't today because they're not here. I will now turn it over to Jeffrey Liam Simpson for his birthday address. Jeffrey. Well, I thought maybe I would share a few things that I've learned in my time here on Earth. That's great. They're all going to start with don't. Okay, good. Number one, don't plug in... Don't use a don't plug in a cord into an outlet when there's nothing connected to the other end of the cord except you. Yes. That's a great lesson that costs you two digits. Yes. Number 2. Don't eat nachos and drink grape soda at 5 o'clock in the morning. Acid reflux. Yes. Seems obvious. Number 3. Don't vacuum up your vomit. Done that. Really? Because it's the gift that keeps giving. Every time that vacuum heats up again, the entire See, family. Now, I this was also something that happened very early in the morning. A lot of mistakes are made early in the morning. Mm-hmm. And I just thought I was doing my parents a favor by not waking them up to have to clean up my vomit. But did so, not vacuuming at 5 in the morning wake everybody up? No, it wasn't 5. It was more like 2 in the morning. Okay. So I, I took care of it for them. So yeah. they got their sleep. My sisters did that. And a broken and, vacuum. And every time we, we turned the vacuum on, you could smell stuff. Yeah. Number okay, four. Number four, don't dare your cousin to blow an air horn in your ear. Huh? Hmm? Great lesson. 
And lastly, number five. Yeah. This one's more, a little more uh, timely. Don't see the film Secret Life of Pets. That's a good one. Uh, I, I could brought a tear to my eye. Watch that this weekend. <laughs> that was a good one. And don't, I'm not going to say it. Uh, don't go there. <laughs> <laughs> I had a good one. I had a good one. But I like the air horn one, too. I actually didn't dare him to blow it in my ear. Just dared him to blow to it. Scare, to scare my mom. Yeah. Just blow the air horn. He said no. And then when I wasn't looking, he put it right up to my ear. And then blew that bad boy. Huh? <laughs> and sadly, it's been impacting the show and his life ever since. Okay, great lessons. Jeffrey, happy birthday. Thank you. I'm doing the key for Sutherland thank you for the rest of the day now. Let's hear it. Thank you. He always whispers his thank yous. Yeah. Well, he knows. because Actually, next... he always whispers everything he says. He's either whispering or screaming at the top of his lungs. Yeah, well, you would too if you knew what next hour was going to hold. But you don't. Thank you, Liam. We will take a break, my friends. When we come back, we'll be replaying an interview where we're talking about how to create thriving relationships at midlife and beyond. Dr. Gay Hendricks is next. Stick with us. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, remember that loving feeling that you first had when you were married? You were so smitten by love that you thought uh, you would feel like that every day for the rest of your life. 30 years later, though, a pile of bills, a carload of kids later, you're starting to notice that feeling has been fading. Many couples in their midlife begin to feel like they've lost the spark that they once had. But it doesn't have to be that way. Dr. Gay Hendricks, co-author of the book Conscious Loving Ever After, How to Create a Thriving Relationships at Midlife and Beyond. He joins us today from Ohio, California, and is here to teach us about how to regain that loving feeling. Uh, Dr. Gay Hendricks, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Thank you very much, Matt. It's really great being with you. You bet. Good to have you. And I'm, I'm really excited about the topic because... There, you know, we have an aging population, right? Baby boomers getting older, midlife on. Relationships are hard, I guess, at any stage, but it, it's really hard to keep them keep the fire going, isn't it? Yes, it is. Well, it's it's not so much hard as it is. It just takes dedication yeah. and commitment. Uh, you can accomplish just about anything in a relationship if you put your mind to it. The big problem, though. By the time a lot of people get to midlife and have been in a long-term relationship, they've also settled into a bunch of patterns and habits that need to be changed in order to bring zest back to the relationship. The good thing to know is just a few seconds or a few minutes a day is really all it takes. My wife and I have been uh, together now for 36 years, mm. and uh, actually last month uh, we met each other 36 years ago. And so we've had, you know, the, the typical relationship in, in the U.S., I think, now lasts about four and a half or five years. So in 36 years, we've gone through seven different marriages. Wow. So we, you know, you, things change, and you really need to keep changing up your habits. But if you do it right, well, like in our case, uh, I'm more in love with Kathleen than 
I ever was 36 years ago, even though I was wildly in love with her then, there's a way you can keep falling in love over and over and over again and bringing zest and energy back to the relationship. Oh, that's so hopeful because, I mean, I think part of it is, like you're saying, it's it's a muscle. It's a, You have to work it. You have to exercise connection and this, this – um, this feeling of love, you can't just assume it's going to just be there. You know, you, you, you're absolutely right. It's like it's given to us as a gift maybe first when we're in our teens or yeah. 20s. But what you really have to do is keep uncovering deeper and deeper levels of yourself. And that allows you, of course, to know your partner at deeper and deeper levels. A lot of times, though, people get kind of stuck. You know, it's, it's just like if, if you're you know, if you painted your house seven years ago, then seven years later, you may not even pay attention to it. You know, right. it's, um, it's there, but it's not something that's making an impact. So from midlife and beyond, one of the great developmental psychologists, uh, Eric Erickson at Harvard, once said that from midlife onward, you have to make a daily choice between creativity and stagnation. Mm. And so every day after 40 or so on up into your 70s, 80s, 90s, and wherever you end up, you're going to have to be making choices that favor creativity or regeneration. You've got to be making commitments to learning new things all the time. And that actual that's probably the single biggest factor, Matt, in the research that my wife and I did with um, about 4,500 couples over the years. We found that from midlife on, you really have to make a big commitment to learning new things every day, to mm. staying alive in your mind and your heart. And I was just watching a program this morning on Alzheimer's, and they were saying the very same thing about Alzheimer's, about the importance of um, as a preventative to keep learning new things and taking on bigger and bigger adventures. And so I think that's the single biggest key is that big time commitment to learning something every day that you didn't know yesterday. Well, and how how powerful too, I mean, I guess what our instinct is though, is we quit jobs, we quit our work, we we retire, I guess, and then we can just go rest or we always think then we'll just go do what we want to do but there's something sometimes about working and having to be in the workforce that actually forces your learning in a way um, every day that might keep you more alive as well but how do we engage new learning together what and how do I get over my fear of risking and trying something new how do we do that as we age that's a great question well I think that the main thing is that both people in a relationship, need to make a commitment to learning and growing because oftentimes there's an unconscious contract that forms between couples which is if i won't if i won't grow you won't either mm. in other words if you agree not to grow i agree not to grow either right. <laughs> let's stay stuck in the same rut together and in fact one of the biggest problems that we confront when people first come to us to our seminars or or to our offices is that they've kind of sunk into a state of despair that's sort of like sleepwalking in a way, that they're going through the same kind of patterns over and over again and don't even realize that they are actually patterns. And so one of the things that we ask people to do right away that all your listeners can do at this moment also is to ask yourself a big question, which is, 
what is it that I'd most love to learn about myself? Or what would I most love to learn about the world? And what would I most love to learn about my partner? To shift from that despairing sleepwalking mode into a state of wonder and curiosity. Hmm. Wonder and curiosity don't cost us anything. They're internally generated, yet many of us don't take advantage of our own natural powers of wonder and curiosity to really rebirth our lives. Oh, wow. And it's interesting because it's just a question, except deep inside of us, there's there, there's probably this really deep learning, this deep desire to go to go manifest some some learning about that. What happens if you have a spouse, though, that really doesn't have an answer? Well, you know, that's a really important thing, I think, for everybody to consider. Let me just tell you a, a quick story. I have yeah. to be on a – one time many years ago, I was sitting on a park bench in um, – in the Tuileries in Paris, and I was sipping an espresso there at the little cafe, and I'd just gone out for a walk, and um, Katie was back home sleeping in, and I was taking a walk around the gardens and uh, on a vacation, and I sat on the park bench, and a woman who's in her 60s sat down next to me, and we struck up a conversation, and I said something positive about her sneakers. She had on this brand-new pair of great-looking uh, sneakers, and I said, uh, those look brand new. And she said, yes, they're my sixth pair on this trip. <laughs> and I said, what? And she had started walking from Arizona and had walked all the way across America and then was walking across Europe. And she'd worn out six pairs of sneakers along the way. And I noticed that she had a wedding ring on. And I said, is your husband with you? And she said, oh, no, he didn't want to come. He just wanted to watch TV and sit and Front, wow. front of the, on the couch back in Arizona, and she, so yeah. she'd taken off without him. And to me, that, that's, that's a stunning example of what often can happen, is that one person has a deep desire to grow, but the other person has almost an equally deep desire to stay put and stay stuck. Now, not all of us want to walk around the world right. when we're in our 60s, but inside you have to realize that it's usually fear of some sort that's blocking that desire to learn. I think the desire to learn, we've all got it built way down within mm -hmm. us. It's just we let that muscle get atrophied or it goes to sleep over the years. And so we ask people when they come here to make a what we call a co-commitment, which is both people making a commitment to change and learn and grow and add that to the relationship. Mm. And so to get underneath all of that fear and get to a new place of commitment. And what's powerful to me about the idea of growing together is if if we're growing together, um, like you were saying, it's going to stretch me. I'm going to stretch myself and my wife will stretch her her mindset, her paradigms. But as I'm stretching, it only increases our ability to have more together in the yes, relationship. Yes, Matt, I think that a lot of people do fear, though, that if their partner grows or they grow and change, it's going to somehow disturb the equilibrium yeah. of the relationship right. and rock, rock the boat, so to speak. But I think the boat really needs to be rocked yeah. because, yeah. you know, we have a situation here in America anyway of, um, you know, there's that 50 percent divorce rate, which is shockingly high, but also a lot of people don't realize that the rates for second and third marriages, the divorce rate is even higher. Mm -hmm. you know, it goes up to like 55% or 60% by the time you're on your third marriage. And what that says 
to me, having been in a relationship now for 36 years, is that you come to these choice points where you have to decide, am I going to grow and change, or am I going to stay stuck in my old patterns? And you keep getting these over and over again. I mean, Kathleen and I have been through many sequences of that over the years where we'll find ourselves kind of taking each other for granted or, you know, bored with each other or right. something like that. And and yet underneath it always is that yearning desire to deepen the intimacy, to learn what you need to learn and go beyond that. So I think we can do something significant about those divorce divorce rates if we begin to do what we talk about in Conscious Loving Ever After, which is to turn your relationship into a living laboratory of what can I learn here? What do I need to know about myself and my partner to make this even more of a thriving relationship. Mm, love it. Uh, we're speaking with Dr. Gay Hendricks, co-author of the book Conscious Loving Ever After, How to Create a Thriving Relationship at Midlife and Beyond. We'll take a break, come back, continue the learning with Dr. Hendricks, and uh, we got to hurry because he's got to get to his golf game. Stick with us, folks. Uh, what a great life and great uh, example for how to create learning throughout our relationship. We'll be right back. Stick with us. Friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. On the phone with us from Ojai, California, Dr. Gay Hendricks. He is the co-author of Conscious Loving Ever After, How to Create Thriving Relationships at Midlife and Beyond. He's teaching us the tools of um, to, how to create a kind of a continuous learning relationship, one that's that's stretching and, and really creating a commitment in our lives to risk more, learn more together, and by so doing, becoming more. And um, and even you know being able to increase what we have uh, going on between us. It's powerful. Uh, Dr. Hendricks, welcome back to the show. Thank you very much, Matt. I appreciate you and your listeners for looking into this issue because there are 70 or 80 million of us that are you know, in our 40s or beyond, and there's a lot more life available to us now than there was in my granddad's generation, right. my grandma's generation, you know, a longer lifespan and that kind of thing. So it's really a huge, great investment to put time and energy into your growing your relationships. Our experience is that it only takes 10 minutes a day to really start. An investment of 10 minutes a day is huge factor in giving yourself a new life in relationship, whether that 10 minutes is spent journaling or taking a walk together or whatever you do. My wife and I have very different approaches to uh, learning and adventure. She loves much more physical adventures than I do. Like she uh, parachuted out of an airplane and she invited <laughs> me to go along with her. But I said, honey, there's no way I'm going to jump out of a perfectly yeah. good airplane. You You're crazy. That? That's crazy. And, uh, but she loved it. She had a great time, still talks about it. And I'm still fine with not doing it. Yeah, right. Uh, so you can be different, right? You don't have to be exactly the same. But did you enjoy it for her? I, I mean, really it, did. You probably I did. 
Yeah, I really enjoyed it, and it, you know, it scared me at the time. But um, you know, the, just hearing her talk about it later was great. It was as if we both had a chance to do it. So you know, that's kind of an extreme thing. But what I'm saying is, and what I think you're saying is that you don't have to do things exactly the same way, hand in hand. You know, like like my wife also loves poetry, so she went off to. Um, a seminar a while back where she spent two days working with this really great poet. Now, that's the kind of thing that uh, I would jump off a bridge before <laughs> I had to do something. <laughs> right, right. But, <laughs> and, but you can go golfing, and she, I mean, she could go on in the cart with you. I mean, you, could, you can find ways to blend it. It's really true, and I think many people, so many people now, give up on relationships too quickly before you know, before they've really had a chance to make a big-time commitment to changing and learning and growing and opening up new parts of themselves. Yeah. So that's, I think, what really can help bring down that divorce rate. And two, I mean, yeah, it's like it's almost like relationships are kind of, you know, they're just, they're, they're I guess, reusable. I mean, re, not re, yeah, we just toss them. They're, we can just discard it because yes. there's a better one or another one that will offer me more. Yeah, and I think that's such a mistake to make. I mean, sometimes you really do need to. We found that um, you know certain numbers of couples really do need. They, they're safer and better off not in each other's presence. But I think a lot of people give up too soon in the sense of they haven't. They've kind of gotten stuck in a certain pattern and haven't found a way to break through it. So it's really they they need to get a divorce from that pattern in themselves rather than with the other person because. What we found is a lot of people, if you don't open up and start learning what you need to know, you just keep repeating the same pattern mm -hmm. in a future relationship. And it's really you. You can change the pattern today. Exactly. But even never... unilaterally, right? I mean, I can change the pattern. It doesn't mean – I mean, I could change it and go be without my spouse, but I could also change it and find a way to be with my spouse. That's really true. In fact, that's very key because – both people don't wake up at the same time in relationships. You know, right. if you look at the statistics about, like, uh, there was a study done on who makes the first, who who makes the call to a relationship counselor when there's a problem in the relationship, and 96% of the time it was the woman hmm. um, that made the call, and so the, um, you know, the, a lot of times I think women wake up before we do, we men do in relationships to the patterns and that kind of thing. And I can remember in my own early days with Katie where she would try to point out something and I would get defensive and, uh, you know, kind of criticize her or push her away or something like that. And so it took me a while to really learn to value what I'm talking about here. Yeah, right. You know, I'm, I'm my own best customer because I don't think we would have survived the first couple of years had it not been for learning the kinds of things that we later wrote about in Conscious Loving Ever After. You, in, in your book, you also talk about attracting new love into your life. What, what do you mean by that? Well, a lot of people are single in their 40s, 50s, 60s, and 70s. Uh, we've had singles uh, just last weekend, for example, we did a seminar here, and we probably had people in their 60s and 70s who were looking to manifest to create a new mate in their life. And so, you know, either their partner had uh, passed away through death or they were divorced or, or whatever, they were single again in their, at midlife and beyond. And so we have a chapter in the book that talks about our approach to how singles 
in their 40s, 50s, 60s, and 70s can go about creating a new relationship. And one important thing that I just want to make sure everybody hears is that it's a matter of commitment. If you really want to create a close relationship, even if you've been single, you know, we've had people in here that have been single for 20 or 30 years just because they didn't trust themselves in relationship. And then when they were 60, we helped them make some shifts inside themselves, and suddenly they realized, wait a minute, I want to be in a close relationship. Mm. And so it's very satisfying to us to see a single person, your 50 or 60 or 70-year-old person, go out and create a great new relationship. Yeah. One, yeah, one, of, one of my friends has recently, at age 86, she is, she now has a 62-year-old boyfriend. Oh, wow. And that's very exciting. That is exciting. Because, because she hadn't been in a relationship in, gosh, 40 years or something oh, wow. like that. And so uh, she was in one of those painful relationships where, where when she was done with it, she said, okay, the door is slammed. I'm never going to do anything like that again. Uh, but it's never too late to rebirth yourself. Yeah. Hey, we've got about two minutes left, Gay. Talk about um, this. I love this idea of presencing. Um, where you can get into the present to kind of tap into your your intimate everyday moments. Yes, that's really important, Matt, because many of us spend a lot of our time either having fear fantasies of the future or hopeful fantasies of the future, or we're stuck back in the past. We're thinking about things that happened that we haven't quite got over with yet or haven't completed things we were angry about in a past relationship or hurt by or scared about in a past relationship. And so what we've found is it's important to get out of both the future and the past and locate yourself right now in the here and now and focus on what's real for you this moment. Are you feeling scared in your belly or is your shoulders tight that means you're tense and angry or is your chest feel compressed like it does when you're sad or your throat have a lump in it? What are the actual experiences that you're having in this moment? Because when you can learn to communicate about what's right now and what's real, you make much faster progress in a relationship. We say there's one word you can change that will shift everything in a relationship, and that is when you find yourself communicating in anger, shift to asking yourself, what am I afraid of? And mm. talk about what you're afraid of in that moment rather than what you were angry about yesterday. And underneath everything that you're angry about is also something that you're scared about. But most people don't talk about their fears. They keep recycling the same anger at each other over yeah. and over. Yeah, and then we get into the pattern again, and then it just it's the same fight we've always had with each other. Interesting stuff. Well, we appreciate you, Gay. I think this is fantastic. Um, again, they can go find the book, Conscious Loving Ever After, How to Create Thriving Relationships at Midlife and Beyond. And what website should they go look you up on? They can go to either our Hearts in Harmony website. That's, a pro- that's probably the best place, heartsinharmony.com, and, uh, or to our um, regular basic web website, Hendrix.com, and that's spelled H-E-N-D-R-I-C-K-S.com. Good stuff. Hearts in, uh, is it Hearts in True Harmony? Uh, yes, that's one of them, but okay. also Heart- Hearts, Hearts in Harmony is works also. Okay, yeah, HeartsInHarmony.com. Again, uh, Dr. Gay Hendricks, thank you so much for your great insight. Appreciate it, and go have a great golf game. Thank you, Matt. I love to play golf in California, but if I ever want to go skiing, you know where I come? I know. Come to Utah. I come to Utah. That's the best snow on earth. Oh, that's great. Come visit us next time you come, okay? 
You bet. Thanks good a lot, stuff. Man. We appreciate you. Great work. We'll take a break and uh, go visit our good buddies down at BYU Sports Nation. Find out what's coming up on their show at the top of the hour. Stick with us, folks. You're listening to BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Let's uh, shoot it down to our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. It's Jerem and Jason today. Hello, gentlemen. Donuts. Good morning. Thank you for the donuts. You bet. It was so good to see both of you. And uh, you guys did. I think you forgot to do the spanking machine. Excuse me? Jeff, uh, Jeff was hoping that you guys would do the spanking machine for his birthday. Again, what? Uh Anywho, it's just something we do over radio, right? It's something we do over here on the radio side. Okay. Oh, okay. By the way, do you guys know that it is BYU, you, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, okay. Uh-huh. Check it. It's um you guys know that it's Shaka Khan's birthday? Shaka Khan. Shaka oh, Khan. Nice. Yeah. Jeff shares a birthday with uh and I found out today that Shaka Khan is a female. Yes. Did not yes, know that. She is. Yeah. And it's it looks like Chaka Khan. It looks like Chaka. It's like C H, I yeah. believe. Chaka Khan. But we all say Shaka. Shaka. Yeah. We all say Shaka Khan. Wichita like, State Shockers. Yes. I like I think of it as like boom shaka laka Khan. Mm. Ooh. Know what I mean? Love that drop from Marcus. No. Boom shaka laka. Yeah, we lost Most that intellectual drop. Intellectual drop of all time. Any <laughs> other any other uh, uh, high <laughs> I mean, celebrities to uh, that have a birthday today? Uh, Kyrie Irving has a birthday, I think, today that uh, he shares. Gordon okay. Hayward's birthday from the oh. Utah Jazz is wow. today. Wow. Wow. See, nice this pull. is this is really good, guys. And did you enjoy the donuts? Yes. I did enjoy the donut. Yeah, thank you. For Luckily, that. there was one more chocolate, and I, I took know. it. Yeah. Uh, everyone, we were sitting there thinking, they took all the chocolate. Jason Williams Shepherd, a.k.a. White Chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> White. Formerly of the Sacramento Kings. Yeah, formerly of the Sacramento Here's a little Kings. boom shakalaka for you. Boom shakalaka. There it is. I knew you had it. <laughs> it just took Jeff's sack on his birthday. We just had to, we had to dig for it. Yeah. Hey, um, you guys going to... Make Jeff work on his birthday. Yeah, I know. Is, is he, is he announcing is he how old he is? Or is that He's not a... 34 years young. Okay. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. But he says his body feels more like 48. Yeah, I, he lived I a hard can, life. Is can, that what you're saying? I can yeah, see that. he had. A, he lived a hard life. He lived in L.A. He lived in Seattle. He's weathered. Yeah, he's weathered. <laughs> he's not. Yeah, he's weathered. He he had a lot of rain damage. <laughs> um, <laughs> we're kidding, Jeff. It's just your birthday. We're having fun with you. Having fun with you. Jeff's mom is listening today, so we got to be. <laughs> yeah, there's Jeff. AKA uh, ooh, yeah. Uh, the crowd's turning on us. Hey, uh, you guys, you gonna watch the Sweet Sixteen tonight? Any game are you going to pay attention to? We are thinking more about Eric Mika than we are the Sweet 16. I hadn't even thought about the Sweet 16, to be honest. Uh, Gonzaga plays today. Yeah. You might want to watch that one. They lose. Hope I they think, lose. Yeah. I think they're going to lose. <laughs> they may lose to West Virginia. I actually want Gonzaga to have success. I don't. I think it's good for them. I do. You know how you know how Spencer feels about St. Mary's. Yeah, yeah. Feel that way I about, feel that way about Gonzaga. Gonzaga. Do you? Yeah. You, yeah. you have a lot of you have a lot of hate in your heart. A lot of, a lot of angst. Uh huh. Yeah, well, I, I just deep-rooted uh, animosity. I just know they're better, and it's okay. Yeah, no, they like are better. I, like, yeah, yeah, I've they're accepted better. that. Except in, except in Spokane. We're better in Spokane. Except in Spokane. That, hey, there's but a good point. what meaning has that really given to the season? It's, uh, it's a cool uh, It's a moral highlight. victory, and don't you dare take that away from me. Yes. It, it, it was Those one of the best victories, right? <laughs> yeah. You guys. Hey, um, so what's, what's on your show? You're going to do the Eric show today. Eric Mika right? declares for the NBA draft. What? what is it? What does it mean? He didn't sign an agent, so he can come back to BYU. But how serious is he about exploring 
going to the NBA. What's the timeline? When would he need to come back? When is he going to start working out for teams? And how realistic is it that he leaves? We'll have President Coach Steve Cleveland on as well. Indiana Pacers all-star Paul George was a product of Steve Cleveland at Fresno State. So Steve's gone through this process with a guy. Yeah, he knows. What is it like? How ready is Eric Mika? We'll discuss that. Today. We've also got uh, Harvey Longy, uh, former BYU. Well, let's see. Uh, defensive lineman. Former Utah Ute and BYU. Yeah, yeah. yeah. A linebacker, running back. Uh, he It's pro day tomorrow, so all of the guys looking to be drafted in the NFL will, will be participating in BYU's pro day. We will talk with Harvey Longy. Uh, on the show today, get his thoughts on that and, and what his prospects in the NFL look like. David Nixon called Pro Day the Underwear Olympics, <laughs> which I think is a fantastic name for it's that. It's a great name yeah, for I that. Yeah, I mean, it fits. That's for sure. What? Hold on. What? <laughs> it fits. Yeah. But yeah. Tomorrow will be, there will be much form fitting tomorrow. Yeah. That, it, uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, like in the indoor practice facility, it's okay. But if it's in the Wilkinson Center on campus, uh, awkward. Okay. That's awkward. Right. right. You couldn't get away with that just wearing that like to go get a lunch. What? <laughs> but it's fine to wear your undies to go try out for the NFL. Yeah, that's acceptable. In fact, it's it's encouraged. Time and, time and place. Like it's a, encouraged. Like a bathing suit. Now, now, why, now, why is that? It doesn't seem like it would necessarily make you that much faster. Well, I, I, well we're talking about tenths and hundredths of Yes, time. and it's yeah. a... It's yeah. a very superficial league. They also want to make sure that you're going to look good and that you're physically fit enough to yeah. be able to participate. That's so great. It, so you, they get to see you actually being athletic, mm-hmm. but they also get to see um, what your body looks like and yeah. how, how, you know, how much uh, in shape you are. It's so. like Miss America. Exactly. Pageant. Yes. Minus with, the heels and the, you know, the, the outside of football talent segment. Similar amount of drama. So. Yeah, yeah. Steve Harvey will be there. It's good. Um, it's <laughs> probably a guy named Steve Harvey. <laughs> so it's like a five. Hopefully, he gets it right. That's great. <laughs> this will be a fun day. Pro day. That sounds like a great day. Pro so day th- tomorrow. That's yes. on your show. Anything yeah. else you're covering that we need to make sure we get out there? Things you declare. Yeah. Mm. Oh, so Eric Mika declared for the NBA draft. We'll discuss things you declare. Yeah, because you don't normally say that. No, I do it's declare. Thing. <laughs> like on The Office, yeah. when Michael Scott comes out yeah. and he goes, I declare bankruptcy! Yeah. <laughs> and Oscar says, I don't think you can just say it. He said, I, I didn't say it, I declared, I declared it. it. <laughs> yeah, that's always fun to declare your bankruptcy that way. Mm-hmm. So you're going to ask, you're going to talk about everything that you things declare. You, you things can you declare. declare. Yeah. Foghorn mm-hmm. Leghorn may make it a, uh, <laughs> an appearance. I do declare <laughs> an appearance. Oh, that's great. <laughs> this is good. Okay, it's going to be a great show as always. Did you guys clean your teeth out from the from the donuts? I'm the only one that needs to worry about that with braces. <laughs> That's yeah. true. And, and actually, I hey, have not. Do you want not, this now and later? <laughs> obviously, I have not, so I'm going to quickly. Yeah, you got to get the here. water pick out. Start water picking those bad boys. Yeah. All right, guys. It's going to be a great show. I can already tell. Have a great one. Knock them dead. And, thank you. Uh, and thank happy, you. Birthday yes, happy birthday to Jeffrey Jeffrey M. says Simpson. Thank you. He loves you. Peace out, yo. Peace he loves it. See, did you hear that? They, they're giving you the birthday wish. They think you're great. Well, because you made them feel guilty. Why? Because they uh, they came in here and they grabbed a donut and they didn't give me a second look. Or a birthday spanking. No, you know what I mean? I think I, I'm okay passing on those. Yeah, those are weird. Hey, um, listen to this story. Crazy story. A car launches 210 feet 
onto a frozen Minnesota lake and the driver survives. The fact that 38-year-old James Sunby of Wadena is alive after driving his car off of an embankment, flying over 210 feet of open water and coming to rest on the ice of the lake in what is Alexandria, Minnesota, Police Chief Rick Weifels calls it a miracle. At 3.28 a.m. Saturday, the Alexandria Police Department received a call reporting that a man had shown up in someone's home covered in blood and stating that he had crashed his car. Sunbee apparently stopped at one house where the homeowner wouldn't let him in but called the police. By the time the police had been called, Sunbee had, had gone on to another house and entered it. Homeowner Andy Armstrong said he didn't know how long Sunbee had been there before Armstrong woke up. I was awoken by a bedroom light being turned on, Armstrong said. He was in my house and had been there some time. My TV was on and he flipped through the channels because it wasn't on the same channel that, I was, that it was on when I went to bed. So he just, he just went in and started watching TV. Hmm. I don't know that I would do that. Like I would – I'd go in a house to stay warm, but I'd probably just get a blanket and stand by the door or sit by the door. I don't know that I'd hmm. get chips or whatever and watch TV. But it depends on the show. When I was a That's kid, a yeah. I got hit by a car on my skateboard. Really? Even though I had the right-of-way. And as I was being put into the ambulance and checked out, I just kept telling everybody, I'm fine, I'm okay, because I wanted to get home in time to see home improvement. Really? This is, a story, this is a story <laughs> I haven't heard before, but it explains a lot. Does it? Yeah. You know how sometimes on the show you are um, – you think of – you interpret what we're saying differently than maybe Terry and I interpret it. Well, I was hit in the leg, not the head. Like I, Are you they sure? hit me in the leg, and I tumbled up onto the yeah, windshield, no, and then they slammed on the brakes, and I tumbled off. And but your crashed. head probably hit somewhere. I mean, hmm. I mean, I'm not saying I'm not saying you have a head injury. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying there's sometimes that we're talking about one thing, but you hear another thing. You do realize that I'm going to get a call from my mother after the show, yeah. rebuking you, didn't you? Didn't you have um, – did blood come out of your nose? Something came out of your nose I remember you telling the story about. Blood. It was blood. Did you get hit and blood came out? <laughs> no, 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 no. That was when a closet door fell on me. Then blood came out of my nose. Wow. You've had a, <laughs> you've had a really storied past. Anyway, happy birthday again. 15th time. Hey, one story just as a little hero for you. Uh, police in Evesham, Evesham, you know, Evesham Township are calling seven-year-old boy a true hero. Do you know why? Because his mom was having a severe asthma attack. Danielle Regalbuto of Marlton, New Jersey, had this asthma attack, and she got her seven-year-old boy, Rocco, um, to to call for help, so Rocco went. Uh, she was she went down on the floor, unable to breathe. Handed the phone to her son, who quickly dialed. Uh, he, first of all, he he had to live up to his Superman status. He then dialed nine one one after she told him what to, who to call, and he then explained to them what was happening. 